Thank you for joining us on Tech Move. It is Rod Louie and Keith Moreau. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, in typical uh, Tech Move fashion, we are going to be running an episode right now, which was done uh, during the George Washington administration. <laughs> and we will be uh, running this because uh, we've had this content sitting on our hard drives for who knows how long. Uh, we're not even sure if our guests are still alive at this particular <laughs> point, but nonetheless, we think it's going to it's relevant to uh, to run anyway. Keith, uh, why don't you give them a little background on that, would you? Yeah. So this this was the IBC 2017 show, which was recorded in September, mid September of 2017, and you know, as usual. We just, I just have not got around to assembling this episode. I uh, will, I will take now. partial blame to that. I've uh, had a lot of things to do, uh, like I, I don't know, really nothing, like laying around <laughs> watching television. Yeah, lots <laughs> <Really>. of Netflix, <laughs> binge watching. Yeah, exactly. I know, I know what it's like. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. No, so we, yeah. so we apologize to you uh, uh, for for uh, putting this out so late. But uh, I'm sorry, Keith. Go ahead. No, just just. It's the thing is the stuff in here, the IBC stuff especially is still relevant. We talk about well, we really talk about just one product, and that one product is just starting to ship now. So, and the other the other interview is just an interview, a timeless interview that is is doesn't need really need a doesn't have an expiration date. So, both in, in, in fact, who knows? We might run it in an episode <laughs> like a, a, you know five episodes from now. So don't don't be surprised, folks. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I. Don't worry about it. We're still current. We're still relevant. Yes. And just go ahead and have fun listening to it. Exactly. So uh, so uh, ha have a great time listening to episode 40 of Tech Move. Here we go. Coming to you from high atop our studios in the San Francisco Bay Area, you're listening to Tech Move. This is episode 40. In today's show, Keith reports from IBC 2017 from Amsterdam. We talk about Keith's latest hard drive disaster, and we also talk about Keith's latest project entitled Conversations with Caregivers. All that, plus so much more. Well, I'm Rod Louie, and with me is Keith Moreau. Get ready. It's time for another exciting episode of Tech Move. Let's go! This is episode 40. We've made it to our 40th episode. Keith Moreau, this is Rod Louie. How are you? I'm very good. 40. Wow, that's a long time. That's it, a long, long, long time. Well, you know, it, it is great when we put out about three episodes a year. <laughs> and, uh, and it, yeah. you know, so congratulations on making it to the 40th episode. Now, yes. uh, when we, you know, when we celebrate our 50th episode five years from now, <laughs> I think that that will actually deserve some sort of live remote somewhere where, where we'll uh, actually have to be uh, in the same studio together. Yes, I think we'll, well, you know what, I think we're going to be on that, you know, virgin 
you know, space plane or something doing it. <laughs> we'll be on point. Mars. We'll be on Mars. Yeah, when, yeah, when, that's it. When we can afford our uh, our space travel, yes, that will yes. be. Uh, that will. That's how we'll celebrate the fiftieth episode <laughs> of Tech Move. Well, uh, no. In 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 reality, congratulations on making it mm-hmm. to forty. Uh, it has been a fun ride, and ladies and gentlemen, wherever you listen to Tech Move, whether it be here in the San Francisco Bay Area or in the greater United States, or on Mars, like we plan to do our 50th episode anniversary. (laughs) We want to thank you very much for joining us all this time. Uh, And we've just had a ball doing it. And we thank you so much for joining along and putting up with the silliness that we try to put out every (laughs) once in a while. Uh, Keith, uh, you know, another major thing that I want to draw your attention to about episode 40 here is that this is actually going to be one of the first episodes in what one or two episodes that we've done where it kind of goes back to the regular tech move format, meaning this isn't like, uh, you know, NAB based or, uh, or that other one that you just went to. I can't even remember what we, what we just Sin- did. Sinegear. Sinegear. Yeah, that, that was the last one. Right. Yeah. That was, I mean, you know, uh, the next one we're going to cover is I think the Grammy awards and then the Oscars or something like that. But, <laughs> but maybe a pet, maybe a pet show. Right. <laughs> West Westminster right, dog show. Exactly. You know. But, but, maybe. but this is the actual, you know, first full episode that we'll do kind of like uh, back in studio with all of our listeners, favorite segments. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm, I'm quite excited <laughs> to kind of get back into the swing of things. And mm-hmm. um, for this 40th episode, I think an absolutely fabulous way to kick off uh, this momentous occasion is to talk about something that we kind of were preparing in our, you know, uh, in our production meeting uh, that we hold uh, so regularly. Uh, the, the, the world famous, you know, what would, a, what would a tech move episode be? Without a Keith Moreau disaster of some sort. <laughs> I mean, you know, really, that's really what the kids are tuning in to hear is, you know, here we are. We're talking about tech. We're talking about all the latest, you know, digital uh, cinema gear that is out there. But why does one have to pass without a Keith Moreau disaster? And we do not fail you ladies and gentlemen (laughs) keith moreau is about to share with us a fantastic fantastic uh uh uh, thing that happened to him i'm going to turn the mic over to keith moreau (laughs) right now and let him share uh what has gone on keith the the floor is yours okay the floor is mine okay so this is another one of those um what was it oh i think i may have told you about it before but um just in passing but this was when i was plugging too much stuff into my backup power supply so i have this backup battery powered backup power supply i have two of them actually and they're both i think they can only really do like a a thousand watts each right okay so once it gets beyond a thousand watts then they they start beeping and then um, well i didn't really know what happened after they started beeping because they seem to be fine even after they started beeping like you know, I'm beeping because it's we're getting close, but everything's still good. Um, because I had been, I just plugged a bunch of stuff into one. I had a bunch of hard drives and other stuff, and this one, 
I had one was one was still okay. The other one was kind of on the edge, and I was doing a lot of processing. You know, when, it's it's strange, but when you when you actually use your computer for intense processing, the power load goes up. You know, it yeah, actually uses I, more power. Yeah, I I I have noticed. Like, even when you're just like, I don't know, saving a f- a file to, yeah. to to the hard drive, it just seems to spike at that point, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it's just anything that's just using more power, especially doing like intensive CPU processing or even GPU processing. If you have both those things going together, like if you're doing a render or whatever, uh, that's when it starts really. It kind of it can double the power usage of the computer. It's crazy. Go can go from like three hundred to six hundred watts. Awesome. Yeah, it's amazing, and you can see it because it's got a little watt meter in the front. This uh, that's what's kind of cool about the power the backup battery power supply it actually shows you how many watts are being used by that power supply so anyway so it had, it had kind of beeped a little bit and then gone away uh like it had kind of gone to the edge and then come back um and then one time i was uh i was doing this render and you know and that means when you're rendering like your all your hard drives are being used like all the media is being pulled from your hard drives and spit out to another hard drive to render it uh the final render and so uh, everything's kind of in motion. Everything's being accessed. Like files are open and closing and things like that. And and so the beeping started. And I just went, oh, you know, I kind of want to finish this render. You know, it, it'll the beeping will be fine. It'll survive. And then it just kept. It just. It, it's not like a. It's not like a beep. It's like beep beep beep. It's like it's more like a just a single beep that just mm-hmm. is really piercing. It's like <laughs> beep. And so. You know, I can put up with the beeping. I'll just left, just leave the room. So, <laughs> right. So I, I kind of. I can of already tell this is going well. I can already tell. <laughs> yeah. So I got the render going. It's like it's the progress. It's it's uh, Adobe Media Encoder. The progress is you know, twelve minutes left or something. So it's almost done. Leave the room. Come back. Everything's black. <laughs> the screen's black. Computer's black. Hard drives are black. <laughs> The, uh, no lights the, anywhere. No lights. I th- I think th- there is one light on the backup power supply. It it says something like error or something like that. Something really bad, like you're doomed. <laughs> I don't know. It just <laughs> there's something. There's something. I don't remember. There's something on the LCD that you're really screwed <laughs> or so. You know. I don't remember exactly what it was, <laughs> but it was not good. So I went. Oh, great. Okay. So I. You know, re- restart. I I realized that that was the problem, so I unplug a few things that are non-essential from from this thing, and I restart the computer and everything. And one of the drives, um, it it has that very very uh hopeful message when it comes up. This computer, this drive cannot be read. Do you want to initialize it? <laughs> <laughs> and and it's like my main. And it's a, it's a RAID 5. It's my internal RAID 5. It's it's the one that I use in my Mac Pro where I have four of the drives um, working together. So there's four there's four internal drive bays in the Mac Pro. And you can have them all working together to make one big drive. And also you can make it safer by making a RAID, a RAID 5, which is it's got uh, three drives worth of data spread across four drives. So if one drive goes down, like if one drive goes bad, it's not going to lose any data. Uh, if more than one drive goes bad, then that's bad. But um, so yeah, so it's it's somewhat safe. You know, it's a, a pretty safe configuration. Now I had been this is this is during the peak of my business. I've I've been so busy this year, but but I was especially busy between like 
the end of like mid mid April till about about August. I was I've just been this has been crazy. Like I don't even know what happened. It's just it's just like a blur. But so this is in the middle of this. This is a couple kind of a couple months into that, and so so this drive, which I normally you know I'm so you know, anal about backing everything up and have all these systems to back up and this and that, right? You're you're a great guru on the backup uh on the backup front. Yeah. But about a month prior to this happening, I did not back up that drive. And that's it was so stupid because that's actually a I just didn't have time because what happened was my backup my backup server, which is a, a an old Mac MacBook Pro, mm-hmm. was was starting to get really flaky. Like it was starting to just turn, turn, shut itself off and do weird things. And I, and I, and that was, everything was connected to that system. All my backup drives were connected to that system. And it went over the, the network, the WAN in my, in my house and goes to this closet with all, with the backup server system, you know, the backup closet that I, the legendary backup. Oh, uh, which I love so much. Yes. Yeah. But, but for about, about a month, well, about a month, one drive, especially one drive on this uh, backup server was not working. That was the backup to my main internal drive. So I had not backed it up in a month. And this drive was basically initialized. The the one that was being used when the, the power supply ch- choked. <laughs> so it basically, yeah, I, 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 so what I did was I tried I tried to save it and... It was not savable. In fact, when I actually tried tried to even have like the whole system on, it would like crash my system. There was something between soft raid, which is the software that I used to to make that raid, and the fact that maybe there was some corruption on those drives that had been created during the power outage. Right. Um, somehow made it really, really hate my Mac and my Mac hate it, and not want it to be in the system while other things were going on. So I had to actually physically take those drives out, and I and and luckily I put them into another. Uh, I have another older Mac Pro. Mm-hmm. It's a 2008, and that's that's actually kind of a lifesaver. It, you should always have an extra <laughs> computer that's almost identical to the main one that you use, because then you can like transfer stuff over and and have work on that system or have it doing stuff while you're still working. Right. So. <laughs> So I took those four, four drives and put it into that system, and it kind of was able to kind of recognize it, like it was able to semi work, um, but it, not very well. Um, and so, and I'm still in the middle of all these projects. I had three, I had four projects going on at once, four different customers, oh, four wow. different things, and they were all like mid midstream; they weren't finished yet. So, um, now luckily. This drive, this kind of, um, it's my main internal drive, and I use it for outputting renders, and I use it to store a lot of my large files and documents. It's Mm kind of like my main drive where I have my my home drive on it, you know? Like, you know, your documents folder on your Mac? Mm -hmm. That was kind of like, because having all that on your SSD, it's too much stuff. Right. So you keep your SSD kind of clear of that stuff, and you just keep apps and other things on that. Yes. Just keep it as your boot drive. And then you have this other drive as take all your documents and data and stuff is on that drive. So it wasn't, but it didn't really contain too much video, you know, like source video source material, like from shoots. Mm-hmm. I keep that on separate drives. Okay. But Which this drive, spe- yeah, that was good. But this drive specifically had 
because um, it was pretty fast. It, it was like a, it went about 400 megabytes per second because of the RAID with fast drives. Mm-hmm. So I, I did it when I needed speed, but large, uh, large file speed and a lot, lot of storage. So it would, it had uh, lots of my Premiere Pro projects on it. Oh. And mm-hmm. yeah. And it, and it also had a lot of my final renders for things, which I can always regenerate it. That part's okay mm-hmm. if I don't have those. But if I'm, if I'm missing those final cut, I mean, not the final cut, the Premiere Pro uh, projects, then I'm kind of like dead. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm a month behind if I don't have those. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. And the lo- and, and pretty much, well, here's, here's was my saving grace for most of those projects. I'm very, see, if you're anal in so many different ways, then maybe one of those other anal ways will save you. If you're, <laughs> if, if you forget to be anal in one way, the other <laughs> way of being <laughs> anal saves you. And that kind of saved me. <sighs> so at least ex- with all the projects, except for one project, I had done autosave every five minutes, which is annoying because every five minutes your, your sequence kind of, your work on your sequence kind of stops while it saves. And uh-huh. then you have, and you resume, but it's bit. But the I had so many crashes in the past, like in the middle of important stuff, that I just and sometimes I just forget to hit the save key, mm-hmm. the hot key, mm-hmm. that I just programmed it to every five minutes do an auto save mm-hmm. with Premiere Pro because it's just so flaky and crashy. So right. yeah, so luckily I and the thing is, and here's a strategy for people out there: don't ever auto save to the same drive that your main project's on. So your master project the one you're really working on keep it on one drive and then keep your auto save version of that that project on a different drive that Uh way yeah that Mm -hmm. way if your main drive goes down like it did here you have a five minute old backup on a different drive Uh that's just a perfect duplicate of it so luckily with all the projects i had except for this one i was auto saving on a different drive so i was kind of saved there Wow. But, uh, yeah. But for one project I didn't, I, and I had to deliver something like the next day or like in two days. Mm-hmm. But then luckily I also, I guess I'm kind of anal about backup. So I have backup to Backblaze. And Backblaze was backing up that internal drive all the time. So in actuality, mm-hmm. I had a backup of that drive that was really recent because Backblaze had been backing it up the whole time. Even that whole month, it had still been backing up that drive. So even though my main local drive, backup drive, was a month old, um, and I still had a very current version of all the files in the cloud. Mm. Now, get, now getting, that, <laughs> getting all those files from the cloud, it's a lot of data to your, to your local system is yeah. challenging. Yeah. Um, and I, so, but for... Th- in various ways, I was actually able to kind of recover. I was able to get all the data that I needed from various sources from, for example, the this other drive that had the backup autosaves. And, and then eventually I was able to kind of, kind of get, get these, this original raid to limp along on the, on my other Mac for a while, <laughs> kind of, kind of limping, limping, limping. And I was able to extract, um, the, a lot of the stuff. Basically I just did a search for anything that was, that was, uh, between the current time and a month ago. Right. And I was able to find all those files. And then I was able to save those in a separate area and make, this is my most recent files. This is the mo- the last month that I've been working. And it actually wasn't that much. Uh-huh. 
it was only like 200 gigabytes of data. It wasn't like a huge amount. Right. It was kind of manageable. Right. Um, it was just, you know, the fact that it was very important data. So, um, and then I was also able to tell Backblaze to back up all those files too and to restore them. Um, and that was kind of an experiment too to see how much data I could actually restore with back with Backblaze. And you can you can do a lot <laughs> with it. Yeah. You can you can t- what you do is you tell it to you tell it to back up and then it takes a while, it takes several hours maybe to create a zip file and then you download that zip file. And the zip file is huge. And it takes a long time. You have to have a pretty fast internet to do it that way. But it worked. So you know that's a very very interesting uh, thing. Uh, you know, semi related but not really. When you're done with a project, yes. How do you deliver the finished product to a client? Um, for the most part, it's all internet final YouTube quality videos. So sometimes they'll want to put it up on YouTube themselves, like they'll have their own YouTube. Um, well, in fact, most of the time they have their own YouTube access. Right. So all along what I'm doing is I'm giving the clients kind of like previews of the final product on my own YouTube in a, in a unpublished link. Mm-hmm. So I just give them a link to the YouTube. Nobody else has it. They can share it with their friends. It's easy. They don't have to log in and stuff, but it's kind of a unique URL. So, so you're never going to stumble on it if you're just the public. And then, and then uh, they look at it and they finally approve it. And I said, and they say, yeah, it's ready to go. And then I upload either through Google Drive or through Dropbox a, a much higher bitrate file um, that they can then upload to their YouTube or wherever they want to put it. So, so uh, uh, this is all via digital files that that they get a final product on. Yeah, but it's only it's only the final edited final product that I give them. I don't, I don't give them unless there's something in the contract beforehand, like if they want to have the media so they can deal with it mm-hmm. later. Mm-hmm. Um, and I usually charge them a premium to do that because I, I don't want to be just like the person that shoots all the stuff and then they ha- hire somebody, another editor to put it together. Right. Um, and some, and some companies have done that. And I, and I actually, now I put a, in the contract cause I, every, every company have a, an agreement before we start. It sometimes it's really simple and sometimes it's really complicated. Mm-hmm. You know, it can be like a huge legal contract and sometimes it's like one page. Right. And sometimes it's just verbal, you know, if it's sim- simple and small enough, but usually it's written. And in there it says, if you want the footage, you have to pay me a lot of money to get the footage. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the way, uh, kind of like the way old photographers used to do it, right? When they used to shoot weddings or whatever it was, you know, uh, they would, you know, Take the shots, you know, on film, right? Mm-hmm. And they would never give you the negatives. Yes, unless yeah. un, 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 unless you paid big buckaroos for for those negatives. And even at that, they they really didn't want to do that ever because they no. want to. They always want you to buy the prints through them, the yes. you know the enlargements through them, yes. so on yes. and so forth. So kind of along the same line, I guess. Yes, it definitely is. It's very similar to that. And, and, and it's very understandable because you, you know, you put all this work into, um, you know, schlepping all your stuff to record something and doing it really well. And you want to reap the benefit benefits of that in the future. Um, because you're, you're thinking you're going to get paid in, in addition to the schlepping and, and shooting of the stuff you want to get paid for the editing and final product. And, it, and so it's not really right for them to, 
uh, want to reuse your stuff and not use you. Well, unless they pay you that. And is there also a little bit of the creative thing in you where you don't want some what could be, you know, somebody's, you know, nine year old kid importing (laughs) your, you know, importing your your, you know, high quality professionally shot stuff and then just editing it, editing it on like iMovie or something or on his iPhone or something. No, not really. I don't. I don't care about that. Yeah. But <laughs> if they if they pay me enough, they can do whatever they want with it. Sure. No, no. It's a little bit like it depends on the project. Yeah. You know, some of them are passion projects, and you definitely don't want people to do it. Sometimes it's just that wasn't the deal. You know, that wasn't the. And it's really funny. This has actually happened to me a couple times. Like, I'll do this project, and then something will happen in the middle of the project. Like the person that I was that originally hired me quits or gets fired mm-hmm. this actually happens a lot mm-hmm. you know like one time i was doing this project and we had just shot something i had probably done about you know a day's worth of work which is significant and and i like emailed them okay you know like you know i was not like super raring to finish it because i was so busy i was kind of waiting usually the client's the one that's pushing you it's not the other way around it's not like hey what's going on i want to do finish this project it's more like the other way around where the client's going okay, let's, let's, what's going on, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. so, but they weren't doing that. And so I kind of said, okay, um, I'm, I'm free now. Let's do the next stage. And there was no, there was a silence. Yeah. Like crickets. And, yeah. and so then I emailed everybody I knew at that company. And then one of the person, one of the people that was still there said, oh yeah, that, that division got closed down. And <laughs> <laughs> So then I I texted a couple of them that had their their like cell phones their personal cell phones and said hey what's going on and they said oh yeah we got we got laid off and they said they decided to take the company in a different direction and <laughs> awesome yeah so meantime I'm like here with you know like okay so I did all this work and I didn't get paid right and I and and the person that I had contacted yeah no problem if you have um you know, just send us an invoice or whatever and I was just so busy that uh, maybe a month and a half went by mm-hmm. and in that month and a half other things had happened in the company and I was I was no no longer able to even <clears throat> like like send an invoice and get paid <laughs> because like because they all moved out and ran away from all their creditors <laughs> right it, yeah something like that yeah. so yeah so just send those invoices early that's another lesson <laughs> Right. Do you, never, never. <laughs> that's another lesson, kids. Do your billings early, please. Do do your Don't. billings early. And and so that kind of ties back into um the original disaster story, which is you know, I didn't want to take the two to three hours to fix my backup system. Right. To make it to make it totally reliable. I was like always oh, just putting it off, oh, this is super reliable. It hasn't failed me in a long time. This is it's it's okay. It's cool. I can I don't I, I can't afford to take the three hours because I really am really busy. Mm. And the thing was it actually probably took me ten hours to recover from that. <laughs> so it was not a good investment to put it off. So don't put off backup. <laughs> That's uh, the lesson I think. <laughs> well that and you know, very valuable lesson and you know, and I think it's gonna segue quite quite nicely because not only are we you know have we picked up some some great hints about you know how to uh, how to plan your backups a a, a little bit differently but with this um i'd like to kind of move on 
to the project that I'm very excited to talk about, uh, one of your latest projects. Oh yeah, and that's uh, a a you know, and and I'll let you kind of speak on it. Sure. But what if this new project that we're about to talk about what what was part of this deal or or was it was was it a part of this whole disaster that occurred? It was, you know what it was. I I was ca- taking a slight hiatus from it, and luckily, just I don't I was just so lucky that. It, everything I had done was just a little bit over a month old mm-hmm. with this project. I was going to restart it like the next day, mm-hmm. but but I hadn't done anything for about a month, and it was still a little bit before that that first backup or the when the backup system was was stalled. So I didn't lose anything from that project at all. Everything was was but, fine. But but it could have easily been a ultra disaster because this is a really big project we're about to kind of begin with here. Yeah, it it, it could have been really disastrous and that was like the first thing i looked for i said how when was my last delivery to them that you know so i I looked my last i sent a draft version of some of the videos to them um over a month ago just and that's when my i had last backed up so i knew i was okay i was okay great so i've got all the sequences i've got all the media i've got okay so i'm good on that so yeah, that was the first thing because that was the most important project. Yeah, in, uh, by far of all all of them that I was working on. So, so so let's talk about this. You know, this project, this uh, yeah. the, the, this latest and greatest uh, from Keith Moreau. Um, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna share uh, that uh, the project name project name is Conversations with Caregivers. Uh, Keith, let's uh, let's kind of talk about the the project as a whole. Uh, what was it about? What was the setting? All, all the give us a brief summary for our uh, for our audience out here. Well, sure. So I've been I've had this relationship with um, UCSF in San Francisco, and they have a world class. It's probably that one of the top. It's probably the top uh, memory and aging um, teaching and um, clinical facilities like in the world. And it's actually right here in San Francisco in Mission Bay Center. They have a huge campus. It's beautiful and all new buildings and lots of people. It's probably like three to three to five hundred people involved there. So and there and there's a lot. So there's a lot of professors and then there's fellows and then there's all these all these different. You know, all of them are doctors, have doctorate degrees and of different types, and they're all very smart people. And right. they're all they're all working together to, to doing research on how to. Um, how to diagnose and how to possibly cure dementia in, in especially in mem- in memory and aging and in older people. Yep. It, it happens with younger people too, but mostly in older people, you know, like Alzheimer's is a really common one, but there's tons of other disorders that are also dement considered dementia. Absolutely. Anyway, yeah. So, so I've been, I did um, projects here and there with them for the, past couple of years and a couple of years ago I was actually the Hellman artist for UCSF and because of that I was really exposed to to that to that organization and and then whenever they wanted to produce a video they would say hey Keith can you do this and you know we talk about it and I produced several videos for them and then they asked me to do this really big kind of big project called conversations with caregivers at the time we didn't really have a name for it but we knew they were going to try to try to it was kind of going to be like how to's about how caregivers of people uh, with dementia, um, it was going to be how tos for them. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if you're um, the child of 
say your parent is older and they start getting dementia and you wind up taking care of them, it would be like hints for you to how to take care of them. Oh, got it. Okay. Yeah. Right. So, and what, what to look for, how, how to handle things. Yeah. How to, handle, how to yep. avoid certain things. And, sure. And yeah. And so we started with all these meetings and, and there were probably, there's probably like six months of meetings before any footage was shot. And, and we're talking about hour long meetings like every week, if not longer. So that's a lot of meetings. It was like maybe, you know, dozens of meetings. And, but we had kind of a, an idea, we started having an idea of what we want to do. And then eventually we got candidates for families that were willing to be filmed. And, and, and another deal was, is that I personally want to maybe make a documentary about all this as well. So I got, you know, rights to as well to use the footage for my own documentary. So that worked out really well too. Um, so we went into these people home, people's homes and we interviewed them. And then we also sh- went to different sites like like events that they would go to or different activities and film whatever they were doing there and and eventually it turned into 10 videos with these three different families about how they care for their person with dementia how how, how long were each of these videos i i'm sure they varied in length but give me a yeah. rough average um they probably the shortest ones probably about five and a half minutes and the longest one's about 15. Okay. So they're like little films. Right. I mean, if you add it up all together, it's longer than a documentary. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of stuff. It's a lot, it's a lot of output. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and they have to be kind of self-contained. So it's, you know, even more work than maybe a longer form. And, um, and also, but the thing that's kind of interesting is that it wasn't really very scripted. We had some questions, but mostly it was just filming them and then extracting different categories and not not trying to force them into a particular area too much um because L- letting tried, it letting it evolve naturally type of thing yeah yeah let them talk about what was important to them and what they felt close to like sometimes some some things we'd ask them and they wouldn't it wouldn't they wouldn't have experienced it so they couldn't answer like no i don't have any extra information there i can't talk about that but i can talk about this you mm-hmm. know something maybe we didn't think about so that so the all the shooting it lasted well i started shooting in april of 2016 and I finished shooting in July of 2017. Mm, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 it was a long, long uh, uh, assignment that you put yourself through. It was long, and but it was worth it. And um, all these now all these people I'm really good friends with, you know, they're, they're re- wonderful people willing to share um, what they, you know, what, what, what they think works with the world and devoting their time. Cause it was, it was a pain to have the, you know, this crew go into their homes and very and, disruptive. Uh, so, uh, and, and, and for, you know, and, and let's face it, uh, you, you know, we, we, you and I do have experience with this type of disease. Right. And, oh, yeah. and so with that, uh, a, a, a lot of the care that goes in is structured care. Uh, it should be repetitive. It should be the same thing over and over again, just to not disrupt the the, the person being cared for. And when you got you know, you know, br- bringing our twelve foot light bar and and uh, you know and, and you know and and our sliders and our jibs all over the place, eh, that can be a little uh, disheartening, I would imagine. Yeah, megaphone. Do it, do it, do it again. Do it. No, do it again. You didn't do it right. 
when you have to spray down the street in front of the house with yeah. water, then yeah. yeah, it's a little disruptive. I got to imagine. Yeah. No, actually. So one of the things that I that I really tried to do was go small, as you know, not not super small, but but very as as minimally. And if you watch the behind the scenes stuff, which you you will eventually, and probably the world will, will eventually, you'll see it's a pretty small setup. It was just three small ultimate run and gun type of thing. Um, it wasn't well. The yeah, some of it was run and gun, which was just basically me and an A seven R. Um, you know, just following people around. That was the the min- most minimal setup. Sometimes I'd use a gimbal, but mostly it was just me with a little little rig that I used the steady steady stick thing. Yep. That I have and um, but that was there wasn't a lot of that. Um, no, it was it wasn't. But I guess run and gun. To me, run and gun implies you're walking around with a camera. No, this was like setting up at people's home, but the homes. But it was you know small tripods, small cameras, not mm-hmm. too many lights. If there were microphones, very you know lav lav mics mm-hmm. that were unobtrusive, or a mic that was off to the side, no boom mics, you know nothing weird like that. The only time we did boom mics was maybe for some of the single interviews um, because it worked out. But then the uh, person. The person with dementia w- wasn't necessarily involved with that, but yeah, but you know, so I used uh, so the main the main camera I used for sound because it has good XLR uh, uh, inputs for good mics is was the uh, the Sony FS five, mm-hmm. and Great. and um, I used I actually shot all of it in S Log two, so I'm actually kind of in love with S Log two. Um, you know, they say that it's not really good for eight bit cameras, which all these were at mm-hmm. this point, mm-hmm. but, and that it's true. It's not good for eight bit cameras and it's potentially noisy, noisier than regular, um, non S log standard stuff. But, mm-hmm. um, but I really love the look when you over, uh, overexpose a little bit, like one to t- one to three stops overexposed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you bring it down and post with, uh, with the LUT with with the LUT that reverses that mm-hmm. and and you'll see when you when you see some of them the colors and it looks like film it's really amazing it looks really really good so um and i was able to even get that with the fs5 which is not as good as the a7 s2 r2 in image quality but but if you overexpose it a bit and you use a really good lens you can get good stuff out of it and this is all just with 100 megabit 4K. Now we've been using that technique for a number of years now, right? O- uh, uh, overexposing by a couple of clicks, and and, and then uh, and then dialing it back in post. We we've been doing that for a while, have we not? Yeah, it's something that I've been doing ever since I've been using S Log, especially with uh, lower end cameras, because mm-hmm. they just don't have um, very good perf- noise performance at the low end. At the at the when you're just when you don't have a lot of light in the shadows, um, they're really noisy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then S log kind of, kind of emphasizes that noise. So what you do is you, you, you overexpose them a little bit and then you, then you kind of crush the, crush the black. So you bring all that noise down to nothing in post and it still, do, it doesn't look like it's really crushed because everything's so overexposed, but you have a lot of latitude with S log and the highlights aren't always that important anyway. So you'll see in these videos the highlights are kind of blown out and stuff, but it's 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 a really nice blowing out. It's not super harsh. Mm-hmm. Um, it really rolls off the edges of things where it goes from blown out to not blown out. is It's pretty nice with S Log Two. I found um, with these sensors, all of them 
work pretty well with that. I, I've had other cameras that where the edges between blown in and not blown in was terrible. It looks like a really sharp edge. Right. But but in the case of these cameras in this setting, it it looked really really good. So yeah. So I and I just used minimal lighting. I used my my little flex my Westcott uh, flex LEDs for the most part, and just very natural lighting. Like I would only just use them to maybe bounce against a wall or put it, put them behind a really big diffuser, like a, like a one stop diffuser. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if they were, a lot of them were backlit, so I'd have to give them some front light. Um, but then just blow out the background if necessary, um, just to, to get them to be exposed. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. And I used, um, and, and, and just tried to get natural look as possible. Um, there were some, problems in some areas I had to fix some kind of mistakes in either focusing or just uh, there was one situation where one of the one of the guys was his skin complexion was a little bit darker than everybody else and he was right in in a window so like if you look at the original footage he just kind of looks like a silhouette oh okay and, oh and, those and, are and tough so yeah. it's real backlit type of thing really backlit and also very um kind of washed out because when you're a lot of a lot of lenses it's just inevitable lenses in the camera will if you're looking right into a light it will tend to wash out dark objects mm-hmm. that are in front of it mm-hmm. so there's there's less there's a lot less detail in there than normally would be and it kind of makes them seem kind of soft and out of focus because of that right so yeah so there are a couple parts that were really problem areas for me so I actually went painstakingly went in there and did a bunch of of movie magic to get that to work look better <laughs> it, you wouldn't believe what i did on this one guy's um face so what i did i'll just describe it briefly you can set up this tracking in premiere pro so you can base kind of kind of make an outline so i set up an outline of just just his facial features it didn't really matter if his his head the edges of his head were in focus it just what was really important was his nose and his eyes sure you know and his mouth those had to be kind of in focus and and so I set up tracking just for those areas so that only the only thing that I would sharpen was those areas just inside his face area. Right. Inside his face area. And then I just bump up the sharpening on that. And then I make the edges kind of soft so that it wouldn't be super sharp. And then kind of like if somebody was just like wearing a like a mimes mask, you know. Right. You wouldn't want to you won't want to see that edge where it's sure. super sharp. So sure. you kind of blur blur. You can soften the edges with the software. And. But then all this noise would come up, right? Because you're you're sharpening all the noise as well, right? And he's already kind of shadowy anyway, so there's a lot of noise in there. So then I have to use something called Neat Video, which is a noise reducer uh, software. And what it does is it analyzes the noise patterns of whatever whatever camera or scene that you have, and it kind of counteracts it. It puts reverse noise in there, mm-hmm. and it makes it it actually takes the noise away magically but it's also super processor intensive and has a tendency to want to crash premiere pro but <laughs> <laughs> on top of what it wants to do crash already <laughs> yes <laughs> so so uh but so this is an example of how kind of to fix and also maybe i wasn't like per- perfectly in focus all the time right uh, i was running three cameras mostly by myself and sometimes you know one would be slightly off just because i was you know didn't have time to, or maybe just got off on its own. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, you can, you can, if you, if you know what to do, you, you can actually kind of create miracles in post. 
So you should look at it and see you know, what you think of we, those, those I, shots. I, I am definitely going to look at that because uh, I, I think that could be a, uh, a separate segment that we, <laughs> that we should uh, talk about on Tech Move yes. uh, on its own because that, that's, uh, uh, you know, uh, my thing is I'm usually out of focus uh, when I think I'm in focus. So, uh, so that would be an actually quite a handy little thing for me to learn. Um, speak speaking of focus yes i know i know we have to go um but we should kind of just uh save this thought yes. because the camera we're going to talk about the c200 but we can't talk about it now because it's almost time to go right but the one one of the reasons that i'm getting the c200 is because it has amazing autofocus that's what i've heard yes uh uh well, you know let's save that for the next segment uh, yeah. be, because the, the you know we're we're going to get into the tech and the new toys and stuff like that um uh and i th- and i think that would be exciting to kind of talk about because of course uh i'm still hooked on my a6500 and still <laughs> we'll haven't, talk and still haven't purchased one but uh but we got to talk about this so we talk about it. let's do this, Keith. Let's 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 hit the, uh, the 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 pause button here because we have been recording now for over forty minutes. Oh, that goes by quick, right? It, 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 things go by well, quick when you're having at least, fun. At least for us, right? Maybe not exactly. the audience. <laughs> and so we'll reset because uh, I'm sure your backups are going to fail right now anyway. <laughs> my, because my, 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 it's starting to beep. Abso- it's starting absolutely. to use some power. <laughs> absolutely. So 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 let, let, let's let the hamsters take a little rest in the exercise wheel, and we will come back and continue on with our discussion, okay? Okay. Fantastic. Okay. Uh, folks, we're going to come right back with more of Tech Move. So we have a uh, special surprise for you here on Tech Move. It is Rod Louie and Keith Moreau here. And uh, we are going to be uh, sharing with you a interview that uh, Keith was able to get with the folks over at Aperture. And uh, specifically with a Martin Long- Longelo. Uh, yeah, Long- Longelo. 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 I think so. See, so yeah, my, phonetic, my phonetic spelling didn't help me at all. So anyway, uh, so Keith, uh, uh, Aperture, yeah. um, they put out a lot of stuff. What what kind of drove you to 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 want to see them uh, at the IBC 2017? So I I um, was very very interested in this in this uh, COB light, which stands for chip on board. They're they're lights that are just a single source point of an LED, but super bright. So that little, like the one and a half inch kind of disc, mm. diameter disc, puts out a ton of light. And uh, Aperture was actually one of the first to market with another one called the 120D. Um, and this is kind of a, a bigger version of it. It's like, it's probably about one and a half times physically bigger, and it's about two and a half times brighter. Oh, okay. So that's called the 300D. And I was... Because I've been doing a lot of situations where I'm just lighting with a lot of heavy backlight behind people, like in front of windows and skyscrapers and stuff like that. And I just do this all the time. And I've been I've been kind of taking a long time to set up just a really powerful amount of lights with my my really great uh, uh, Westcott Flex lights. Yeah, so they're just 
to put each one. I have about 10 of them, but each one, you know, is individually about 500, 250 to 500 Watts in power. Okay. So in order to get enough power out of those, I've got to make about four of those to really combat the light with a huge softbox I have. It's like a f- five foot square softbox. Okay. You kind of have to have a big room for the softbox. So the whole thing is kind of tedious to set up because I've got a kind of vel- I've got to use Velcro on these things that are a part of the Westcott's to Velcro onto this frame, Westcott frame that I have, and then ha- put that inside this big softbox, and then kind of all adjust it. And it's a little it's a little kludgy in a way. Yeah, um, it's just a lot of Velcro and extra work, and I've got to plug all the four Westcott lights in and all that. But I don't want to get like a four by uh, a one by or four by four or two by two Westcott, which would be the same thing because they're super expensive and limited in in, in portability, really, because then the whole thing's bigger. Mm. Like the tube that you have to, even if you roll it up, you have to carry a two foot long uh, roll of Westcott LED. Right. <laughs> so right. Right. So yeah. So I was just thinking about okay, and then this this uh, 300D came out, and I would just thought, oh. It, once that comes out, I'm probably going to get that because that's just like super quick to set up. You just have this one mono light, plug in the AC, and then and then I got this Westcott um, quick quick softbox, mm-hmm. which has this Bowens mount on the front, so it's just a little bayonet that it clicks on, and it's like an umbrella and just snaps on, and it actually only takes you know 30 seconds to set up instead of 20 minutes. So, oh wow, yeah, that's a that's of, a big time saver. Yeah, it's a super big time saber, and I and I could just devote more time to you know aiming it and and really getting the shot right instead of just getting the thing to actually built and work on on site. Right. Um, so anyway, so that so this was before that the aperture light was even out, but I'd been lusting after it for months. Like I even talked about it in the Cinegear interview, which was like four months before. So it was it was just about to come out, and so I went to the aperture booth uh, at IBC. They're an international company, so they're all over and. I think they're also based out of China, or at least part of their company is. But um, the guy that I talked to before, Ted, actually wasn't there. He was setting up their party that evening. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So this other guy named um, Martin Martin Longolo, who turned out to be you know kind of a comedian, so he had a, a great little routine going. And <laughs> not a comedian, but he's a very funny, witty guy, and we kind of joked about his name and, and other stuff related to you know, we had this, well, you'll hear it. And then we could talk about the the interview after the interview. Oh, another thing, there were technical difficulties. So whenever you're recording on an iPad, (laughs) make you make sure you don't run out of space. Like you don't run out of memory on the iPad when you're recording it. (laughs) Kind of hard to do though. I would, I would say it's kind of, that's kind of tough. It's, it's not, well, it's tough if you, if you don't check it beforehand, right? Check, just check to see how much memory you have left or how much recording time you have left. So what happened was in the middle of the interview, Veronica's recording and she's kind of like waving to me and I'm going, hi, Veronica. And uh, probably we should have just stopped it then and just, I should have deleted some other stuff off the iPad. Right. But I didn't. And uh, so what happened was it just, the, the, the memory ran out kind of right at the end of the interview, but it was enough to kind of corrupt the file. Um, so it cut off the last minute of the interview and it also... Uh, screwed up the sync of the video and audio (laughs) so so the video is except for the first five minutes the video is kind of unusable because it's kind of jerky and out of sync so that's why we're just making this an audio pod the whole the whole show an audio podcast instead of video and out audio great because because of this and just other reasons that the video wasn't wasn't superb so the so the tech move uh the tech of tech move again strikes (laughs) it's fantastic yes yeah boneheaded uh errors like check your 
check how much recording time you have left on your device before you start recording. That that don't let it run out in the middle. Right, 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 and, right, right. And then and then also learn that if you do run out in the middle, the iPad is not does not save files gracefully. It doesn't it doesn't go, hmm, I'm almost out of space. Maybe I should just save off this file before I actually run out of memory to do anything else with my with whatever I'm doing computing wise. You know, it's not smart enough to f- kind of predict. I better save 5 megabytes of space for other things. Right. No, it's like it, saving it, it's, the file. It's just going to cut off. That's all it, it does. It just goes, I'm done and I don't have memory to do anything else. Right. Sorry. Right. Your your file screwed. Right. So fantastic. Don't, great. Don't do that. Great. Great. All right. Well, <laughs> well, well, let's get to it. This is uh yeah. again uh Martin Longolo mm-hmm. uh from uh, Aperture and yep. uh talking to our very own Keith Moreau at the International Broadcasting Convention, IBC 2017, and we'll come back uh, right after uh, this interview. Is that fine? You can skip the Langelo and then... Martin, okay. Yeah. Okay. Or you want to put it in there? It doesn't matter. What is it? You can make it Langelo, I think. Langelo. What do you, how do you spell it? Langelo. Langelo? Langelo. Langelo. Yeah, it's really hard. Langelo. I think I could do No, I think Martin I could do it. I'm going to try it. Okay, you want to try it? Hi, this is Keith Moreau here with Tech Move, and I've got Martin Langelo. I got it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, we were pretty close. It's Martin Langelo. It's a little village in Holland. Nobody knows about it. Wait, you're a village? Well, you know, I could be this village and the history is fairly interesting because there was this guy and he went off with another woman and then he had to invent a new surname. Yeah, but we're not here for this, right? Yeah. So we know all about Martin's heritage, the fact that one of his ancestors did something bad and had to change the whole town's name, but that's okay. We're going to actually talk about a product today, a product by Aperture. And I'm actually personally really excited about this product because it's a super bright monolite and it is probably the brightest thing, I think, brightest LED even produced right now, right? Well, this is the brightest light we produce. And this would be then, people like always to compare it to tungsten, but it would be a 2K. And I don't know if you ever carried one of these. but 2K, they're gigantic. It's heavy. And, you know, why don't just take it off? And then I give it to you, and you tell me what you think of the weight. It's like it weighs pretty much nothing. I think it weighs maybe four pounds. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just I can keep this in my arm all day without getting tired. And that's actually now with an accessory on top. And if I take this off, and I always take this off really quick like that, and that is because you maybe are familiar with this mount. I think this is a Bones mount. It is, indeed. They're not there anymore, but a lot of their accessories still are. And that means that if you have some accessories yourself, you can just use them on these lights. And if you don't, we have some for you. And it's really quick to change. So I have this one, it gives you a 60 degree beam. But if I want to change it to something else, you just, there you go. Pop it on and you're ready to go. Is this a Fresnel? This is a Fresnel and uh, what it does indeed is concentrate your beam all the way. I don't think you can read it, but it says 12 degrees up to 45. Oh, uh, sorry. That's 42, really. That's, that's, for, that's 42. Yeah. So in the background here, we have something you would always use if you want to have a nice soft light. And maybe you have it yourself. Maybe if you don't, we sell it for you as well. 
because you know we like to emphasize you can use your own accessories just buy our lights so about the light right uh, it's off right now and I'm not sure if it's safe but let's just force point it down and then put it all the way up can I point it you think at the camera yeah okay so there you go I'm bringing it up now all the way to 100 percent and she doesn't look too happy at this moment. What would you think? <laughs> okay, then that's good. We've, we've proven our point. <laughs> so, a light is not only about giving a lot of light, right? But you want to have accurate light. Because you don't want to look like an alien. You don't want to look all green and messed up, right? So, the CRI of this light is 96 and even all the other lights we're having here are above 95. Some of them even 97. So let's say I take you out to the forest and we're gonna play this scene and we have some light and we need a lot of light. So then normally if you wanna bring 2K, you need to bring either a generator or be difficult to bring that in the forest. Now you can just put on two big batteries here and you have your light in the forest, nice. So I have a question, is this all that connects to this thing? Uh, if you want to work from a battery, all you need is this controller and two big batteries. You need big batteries, 230 watt at least, because this draws quite some power. And actually it's 300 watts per hour, that's a 300D, that's why, 300D. And what if you want to AC power this? Yeah, you could, of course. All the way in the bottom, you can, you know, find, you know, all the things you need to put it, what is it called, a power box? Yeah, so you can just put, pop it in and you will have light all day. So, if I want an AC power, do I need this and then whatever is that on the floor? Yeah, yeah, you do, New. It's one complete system. And if you look at this control box, it does one thing more, I haven't noticed it, but it's this small antenna, right? So let's say you are working and you put all your five lights and you're behind your camera and you find out that that one light needs to be a little brighter and you need to walk over there. Well, you don't have to. Remote from us and you can divide into here channels and groups. So you have three, three channels, four groups for all your needs to separate the lights if you want to and you can dial in brightness or even call the temperature if you buy one of our bicolor lights. So how does it communicate with whatever is controlling it yeah yeah because you don't want to be you know working around something which is in the way so now it works on a 2.4 gigahertz wireless connection so you can just be anywhere and if you press the button it should just work fine do you have an example of that remote shall i get it for you that'd be great yeah okay i have one here it's uh, you get one by the way with every light you buy people tend to lose them i did myself but after a while, you got enough spare ones, and they're all the same. So I put this on, let's point it up. And now I shoot group A, right? So now if mode, I can press this button, and now it's on channel one and A, and now it goes on and off. Is it visible? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, there you go, your light is on fire now. You see, yeah. Can we dim them or just turn them on and off? No, if you can uh, see it here, there is a minus or, and this is a D. So if this would be a bicolor light, you can also change the color temperature with the button underneath. And so you just assign this to a channel and then this particular remote works with it. Exactly, you decide in which uh, channel this light should work 
and then you can also divide it in different groups. Yeah. So, Martin, have you actually used this light in your cinematography work? This one is new for me as well. So I haven't used the 300D, but I am familiar with the 120, and I started out with uh, the Lightstorm panels, you know, the all small LEDs, and they were really nice for me. But the one thing with all those small LEDs, they all cast their own shadow. And this is a single source light. So if you put it on someone and it casts this shadow, then you only have a nice harsh shadow, what you would expect from a single source light. So it looks just, yeah, better. And, and actually, to be honest, if you want to buy a light, this is a little less portable because you need to bring those two big batteries. So for normal use, I'm just really, really happy with my 120. But then in this case, that you need a lot of light for a big green screen, then I would definitely you know, put this up. But remember that you need those really two powerful batteries for it. Right. Um, I'm, I'm competing with the sun a lot. I shoot sometimes with a lot of backlight, scenes that are really well lit, maybe inside, inside a building and then looking outside. So something like this kind of appeals to me to just produce a lot of a small, easy to, to move around package. Yeah, that's where it's for, if you need a lot of light. So tell me a little bit about your history. I started out as an uh, independent filmmaker, right? And then uh, there is this moment you buy your first camera, which comes pretty quick, because the first thing you need is a camera. And then I started looking for some affordable lights. And when I did my research, I went on YouTube, I went on the forums, and then people all talked about Aperture. So then I started buying my first lights, which were the really flat Lightstorm panels. And because I work also a lot of times alone and I have to move fast, that's the one I went for. And I could put them in a small box and bring them with me and just put them on a tripod, put an umbrella in front of it and start shooting. So now when I start to grow and, you know, bigger cameras and everything, I still have these jobs. So I always like to have my own small portable sets because that's what Aperture's target group is. People who work fast, want to have affordable, good quality light. That's for, we are for those filmmakers. But if you want to go a little bigger, then you, know, you have your own gaffer bringing in the truck and all the big guns. But Aperture, I think, is really lean and mean, I would say. So uh, what type of stuff do you do? I mostly now shoot uh, commercials and uh, everything I do goes on social. So, you know, people ask me, oh, where is your last commercial? Is, where can I find it on television? I don't do that at all. Uh, no, I would say 99% goes on the social network. And then I shoot for, you know, it's very broad. I shoot for only agencies, production companies, and that goes from Seat and Peugeot, who everybody knows, to the, you know, corporate companies here in Holland and over the world, actually. I just came back from a nice job at a tropical island. It was really bad, yeah. So are you from Amsterdam or this area? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I live right next to Amsterdam in Haarlem. And uh, I moved there because it's all the way on the other side of the country where my family comes from. Like, you know, remember from the beginning, pretty bad name there. So, uh, yeah. Had to escape his hometown. So this is great. Okay, now here's the, here's the million dollar question. Can I buy this now? You can buy this now, but... Okay, well, we have now... Uh, and I know, I, I, okay, I can say the number. We have 400 units now ready to ship. Wait, four units? 400 <laughs> units, yeah. 400 units ready in a warehouse. 
and they are shipping now to dealers the 1st of October. So in the Netherlands, the expectation is that you can get them in your house by the end of October. And at this moment, we're working on a second batch. And we expect them, of course, to sell out really quick, but we don't really know. So we see how it, uh, how it goes. Can I buy some from that company down there? Well, you can definitely buy something from that company over there because we have now offices, not only in China, but we also have a headquarter here in Amsterdam. Contact now us here in the Netherlands. And I think, I think for one of these, although that also makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's just, I don't know, I think I want like the biggest and brightest thing. Yeah, you can always bring it down. <laughs> it's really hard to create light which is not available to you, so yeah. Well, this is really cool. I'm really happy about this. I'm excited about this light. I'm, I'm excited to have met you and heard about your, well, I'm not so excited about your hometown heritage and all that, but <laughs> in fact, I'm going to be uh, getting out here quick before his relatives come, but <laughs> it's been really nice meeting you and you're a great guy and I really appreciate the time. All right. Thank you very much. And now we finally get our beer because it's always on the end of the day, right? Yeah. Okay. Now, now we're going to end our our Tech Move official interview. This is Keith signing off for Tech Move 2017. But keep it keep it rolling because I want to get some of um, Martin's t takes on his really awesome Blackmagic Cinema Pro uh, or 4K, whatever he has. Uh, you, you tried there pronouncing it correctly. I really admire this as a Canon user. But let's put it like this: officially, it's the Blackmagic Ursa Mini 4.6K EF. EF? Yeah, it's an EF mount. Oh, okay. Yeah, mount too, right? So, I actually own a Blackmagic Ursa Mini, but <laughs> yeah, I do. I, I own the I own the uh, 4K, not not the 4K 4.6K. Does it look purple to you? That's the first thing people ask me. Um, not especially purple. It doesn't look as good as the 4.6. No, I have never used a 4K, but I have to say that when I meet people, the first thing they ask me is like. Oh, are you still having issues? Because we heard the cameras are so bad, the quality control is so bad. But I am this one, per I'm not a scientific researcher, okay? But I am this one guy who's really excited about this camera. You know, I think actually it's an awesome groundbreaking camera. I, I think actually, and I was actually t talking with this guy named Alex Lindsay. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Alex Lindsay. He's really kind of famous in the US. Um, he has this really great company called Pixel Core, which is, they do all these live broadcasting. And he's also a Mac. I don't know if you ever listen to podcasts. He's a Mac Mac guy, so um, yeah, he he he's standardized on Blackmagic because they have all this uh, control control software where you can actually do all this controlling over Ethernet over the internet. So he's really hot on Blackmagic right now, so, and so that's really cool technology. And it, the thing is, they're really open about all their standards, so other people can interface with them. They're not all closed like Canon and and Sony and the others. So to buy into their stuff, it's not as expensive, and it's not as limiting. So I like that part of it. All right. So I don't know much about anything else than being <laughs> talking about cameras, really. And I don't know where you want to go with it, but I thought you also bought a new camera beside now the Blackmagic 4K you own. Yeah, I actually bought the, uh, the C200. So, so what's your take on that then? Well, here's the take on the C200. It is hobbled in a way by the, uh, the MP4 codec but on purpose by Canon, which is, which is very frustrating in a way because you know that that camera can do whatever it wants to do. But you do have, and I have to say this for you, I'm not a Canon user, I'm saying this for you, you do have the great autofocus. 
Yes, we do have the great autofocus, and we have a really awesome raw internal recording. And I have this as a Blackmagic user. But, but, my, raw, but my, my raw is better than your raw. Yeah, but my raw is bigger than your raw. <laughs> but that's the problem. Your, your raw is too big. Okay, but I can actually also record in a compression 4 to 1. That's true. You can, you can but your, your 4 to 1 compression is the same as my raw light. So my mother is way stronger <laughs> than your... <laughs> no, but you know one thing? Because uh, I would buy a Canon for the autofocus. I would buy a Canon for the colors. And I would buy definitely a Canon for the NDs. Okay, we have that now in the pro version, of course. But um, the one thing which is for me unbeatable is that there is this ProRes option. Because on a daily basis, you just don't, I don't use RAW at all. And then if I'm sitting behind my computer and the beautiful ProRes flavor of my chills rolls into my editing suite, it's just so good. That is Martin Longolo with Aperture and our very own Keith Moreau here on Tech Move. Uh, Keith, I, I like the light. You know, uh, before the uh, iPad kind of screwed up and destroyed mm. the video file, I got a chance to, 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 to look at it. And, you know, it looked like a stage light. You know, it looked like a stage spotlight in a way, but it looked very light. Yeah, the actual physical... Uh, like, like if you actually, um, for example, I did, I shot this thing in Dublin a little while ago. Yes. And and uh, I specified I was I, I was a cinematographer, and then I I talked to some other cinematographers and people over there to tell them what equipment I wanted. You know, I wanted a two K because we need we're doing the same thing. We're trying to. This was before the aperture. I had the aperture, so I didn't bring it, and I I can't bring that much stuff anyway. So I just specified the equipment I wanted. So they they bring a two K. And and set it up in this room, and it's gigantic. It's like a foot and a half in diameter, <laughs> and and it's not that heavy because they're aluminum. There's a lot of space inside. Sure, but but it's big. It's big, and it requires a big stand to hold it up, and then and then you put the softbox in front, and that makes it really front heavy. And it's just it's like it's just a gigantic beast, and no better. And it's hot. You know, it's two K of light, so it's really right. super hot. They can't right. even touch it for like twenty minutes, or else you burn yourself. Right. Like, you know those those heat sink fin. They don't do anything. They they all those are not really heat sinks. They're actually grills for cooking meat. <laughs> they are. I think I think George Foreman actually modeled his, right uh, right his He's, grill after that. He 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 gets a cut. He gets a cut. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, so so compare that, which is the same amount of light, uh, just gigantic and really inconvenient, versus this this thing. And you can still get it just as soft. You know, it's it just spreads out. And you put a softbox in front or other diffusion, and so, but it's just the, the convenience of having this one powerful thing to set up versus you know several lights that are aiming in the same direction and diffuse. So it's just it's all about setup time in this case for me. It's all about just getting it done quickly so I can do other stuff related to the shoot. So you, you know when I look at it again, uh, uh, coming from stage and screen as I do. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I I I, I kind of look at it again as you know one one of those uh, uh, lighting cans uh, on a stage truss. 
You know yeah, what I mean? Just, we're, we're just, just miniature. Yeah, it is. It's kind of like that with a little how, fitting on the front. How in the world can you use it? Because it looks like it, like it could be almost spotlightish. But I'm going to imagine that it that the that the light source actually kind of spreads kind of wide. At least it, it, you should be able to. Yeah, it's naturally not not that tight. It's naturally not like it's kind of like an incandescent. You know, if you don't have an incandescent with a lens in front of it, it kind of spreads out pretty quick. Uh, it's not like a spotlight. It needs a lens to to make it a spotlight. So it's kind of like that. It's I don't know the exact degrees, but it's pretty wide. It's like maybe forty, maybe like a forty degree spread. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's that's pretty wide. So you have that, and you have that back far enough from uh, like a softbox. So the softbox I got was the um, I'm just gonna look it up. Westcott uh, Bowen's mount. So the, there's a there's kind of a yeah. It's a it's the Westcott Rapid type boxes, and they have um and and they're really cool because they have this Bowen's kind of bayonet mount in the back, so that's how you mount them. And then when you want to expand them and get them to be spread out, so it's kind of like an umbrella. You just pull in the middle of this uh, kind of centerpiece, and the whole thing spreads out like an umbrella. Oh, okay. And then you, and then you can do that after or before you put the put it onto the light. And the Bowen's mounts just like a bayonet, just kind of. It's it's almost like a lens mount. You just push it in to the front of the aperture and then twist it and it locks. And it's just there. And then when you want to remove it, it's just like a lens. You push in a little button and then you twist it and take it off. So um, so it's pretty pretty darn quick and easy to set up. And so the actual physical box is not that big for the 2K. It's, it's maybe bigger than if I put all the stuff needed for 2K's worth of flex lights. Um, but it's just the quickness of setup. So my sacrifice may be a little bit of space for just super quickness. Mm-hmm. It, it, it also runs off batteries too. And, and, and it certainly looks like a different, uh, 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 thing than your Westcott flex lights, right? Where, it's, it's, it, you know, it, it's, this is definitely a, uh, you know, a, a piece of hardware here. Yeah. It's definitely got some dimension to it. It's physically big like a regular light and but not as big as the equivalent in an incandescent for sure and not even H- hmi lights which are another type of super bright pretty efficient lights still hot and still have issues like incandescents but um it's kind of like an hmi but maybe a bit smaller and a lot cooler and uses less power so hmi has been the traditional thing for kind of running gun film doc filmmakers and kind of like me but mm-hmm. I, I held off again in the hmi because i just didn't want to get something that was used too much power and held out for this. And this was the ultimate thing. So I ordered it and waited for like three months to get it. So they were just shipping them when I did that interview with Martin. Do, and do I, you like it? Do you like it? I haven't, honestly, I haven't had a chance to really use it. I just haven't been in a situation where I needed that super amount of light, but I have tested it and I love the quickness of the setup. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And that's I love the way that, yeah. And just the Bowen's, mount on is really flexible so they actually aperture i think sells a fresnel light which is a focusable front part you could put on the light where you can actually change the angle of the beam mm, from mm-hmm. from kind of wide to pretty narrow and that's so that makes it more like a spotlight so that makes it really versatile too like if you need to be kind of far away from your subject but you still need to get light on them and it could be a night you know maybe you're like i don't know like on a boat dock or something you need to show the whole dock you can't have the light in there. You could you, you could use this to focus it and throw the super extremely bright light and illuminate everything as if it was moonlight or whatever and and still be far enough away and also uh, focus it. 
and you can run off batteries too, which is really cool. You just have to run off these pretty gigantic V-mount batteries, but still you can you can still make it totally portable. So I see a lot. I see this being as very versatile and usable for many years. Excellent, excellent. Yeah. The yeah. Uh, uh, give us that model number again, would you please? Uh, it's the uh, Aperture 300D. Or Aperture 300. D300. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. Uh, you you know a, a manufacturer's list price on that? What they're what they're kind of going for? I think it's like twelve hundred. Twelve hundred bucks. Yeah, eleven or twelve, something like that. Okay. All right. Great. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much to the Aperture folks, specifically Martin Longello. Uh, Long Longello. Yeah, he was actually a really funny guy. There's there's like a little thing in there because he's a he's a Black Magic Design um, Ursa Mini Pro. Right. Uh, that's owner. what he was. Yeah, that's yeah. what he was and talking I, about. Yeah, and, and I was the C two hundred, you know, proponent, and we were just having this kind of like, "Mine's better than yours." It was, really, it was pretty funny. He's <laughs> a funny guy. <laughs> that's great. Great. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks to Martin. Thanks to uh, Keith Moreau. Yep. Uh, we will uh, take a little break, and uh, we will come back with another interview at uh, at the IBC, uh, for which stands for International. Go ahead. Go ahead. International Building Code. Ah, very good. Yeah. Very good. The International Building Code. Yeah, it's uh. very important to make sure these acronyms are correct. <laughs> very good. Uh, so IBC, we're going to come back with another uh, uh, amazing interview. So we'll come back with more of this right here on Tech Move. Rod Louie and Keith Moreau here with you on Tech Move on our continuing coverage of the IBC 2017, which stands for the International Broadcasting Convention or the International House of Pancakes, whichever one you prefer. I, I thought it was the International... Um... Or the, irri <laughs> the Irritable <laughs> the irritable Bowel. I couldn't even, like you said. I couldn't even remember my joke. <laughs> Ir irritable Bowel Convention. <laughs> Oh. It was like three minutes ago we thought of this. Right. We've already yeah, already oh, forgotten. Oh. <laughs> well, 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 you know what? And and you're not to blame because the the interviews have been dazzling. So like, uh, so you know, I don't blame you at all. And in fact, we're going to dazzle the Tech Move universe again with another great interview. I I, I found this particularly enjoyable. Not that the other one wasn't, but. This was a uh, uh, kind of uh, learning about a certain individual, mm -hmm. and uh, Keith Moreau uh, was lucky enough to get uh, the great Alex Lindsay. Yeah. And uh, for those who may not know, uh, Keith, I'm going to let you kind of do a little bit of the introductions of Alex Lindsay. Sure. Um, so Alex, I've known about Alex forever, um, uh, partly because I, I I think he was the originator of the Mac Break and MacBreak Weekly podcasts. Um, he was definitely one of the founders of that of that stuff. And uh, I think now he's more of a guest host, but he's still on pretty often. And his career's kind of kind of kind of morphed from being more of a computer animation expert to actually running a company that does videography and broadcasting uh, for for events and things like that. So. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's more to it than that, but that's kind of what I know about him. But I've just kind of followed him, and I've heard him on podcasts, 
you know, hundreds of times. And he's really a vid- he's a real technical expert. He knows a lot about uh, cinematography and cameras and and stuff that that I'm interested that we're both interested in. And so, and he has a lot. Of, he's a professional. You know, like when he buys stuff, it's it's not like uh, you know, it's, it's not like a consumer stuff. It's it's usually pretty high end. Like I think he bought one of the first uh, secondhand F nine hundreds for. You know, back then this was like the first digital Sony digital 24p camera that was used for the, st- the original or the middle Star Wars epics. Sure. Um, the first use of really the first use of digital cameras for cinematography um, in a real in real movies. Um, oh, okay. To that time, it was always it was just film before that. Yeah, you know the the middle the middle version of, the middle series of the Star Wars was the first real movies to use this digital stuff and really seriously. Right, and it was pretty crude and rough back then. You can, if you look at it now, you can tell there's a lot of artifacts and things like that. But back then, it was state of the art. Um, so he was one of the first people to kind of be involved in that. And I think he bought one of those those cameras from that show and did it, used it for his business and other things. Anyway, so he's a legend. I knew about him, and just by chance, we were staying in the same hotel. Um, we're eating the same kind of bed and breakfast room that they have there at the hotel. You know, it was like a very nice little dining room they have and just heard this voice and I know it's him I can I'm not I'm facing away from him but I hear his voice he actually I was talk I was doing something like trying to find out where to go and how long when it was going to start the IBC convention and and I hear this voice and he, he's like giving me directions like it, yeah it starts this time or you know you can get there this way and I turn around and it's him and and then I, I don't say anything I don't say Alex Lindsay and just like bow at his feet <laughs> gesticulating I don't do it right. I don't do it at that point. I do it later. But I don't do it then. <laughs> and then I just right. think, hmm, I think I'm going to introduce myself somehow. So I turn around and I say, hi, you know, you're Alex Lindsay, aren't you? He says, yeah. And I said, yeah, I follow you for years, fan, and et cetera. So, and then I later, later I say, you know, I'm doing this podcast, Tech Move. Maybe you'd like to be interviewed. Oh, sure. I'd love to. So anyway, that was, that was what happened. Fabulous. And, well, and you we know, yeah. Keith, th- th- you know, admittedly, that's what happens to us, too. I'm, yeah. uh, you know, I'm at the, uh, you know, local police department being booked in <laughs> and, uh, you know, some of some of my colleagues that are there uh, will say, hey, I recognize your voice. Yeah. S.O.B. <laughs> Get in this cell and I'm going to really teach you a lesson there, fella. I'm sorry about the tech news reputation. It right. Us. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So. Anyway, arrested well, be, for being on technique. <laughs> so, uh, well, uh, no, that that's re- I, I I remember listening to Mac Break like uh, quite a while ago, and I I, I still listen to um, you know I I think what would you call him his partner Leo Laporte quite yeah. often on uh, yeah. on all of his other you know Twit Network uh, stuff that, that yeah. he has going on, and uh-huh. you know I I've always enjoyed that. Uh, uh, those podcasts and you know those are always great. So yeah, fantastic, <laughs> awesome. Okay, well let's get to it. Uh, th- this is a, a, a little, this one has a substantial amount of meat to it. So uh, let's get to it right now. Here is Alex Lindsay along with our very own Keith Moreau live on the IBC 2017 floor. And uh, I don't think we had any really technical problems with this one. I think that this this one was pretty good, right? It was pretty good. No pretty issues. good. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, let's get back to it, and we'll come right back right after the interview with Alex Lindsay right here on Tech Move. Okay. We're recording. Sounds good. Okay. So, 
Well, hello, this is Keith Moreau here with Tech Move, and I actually have one of my idols here that I, by chance, met at the same hotel that we're staying at. <laughs> hey, how's it going? Very good, Alex. It's really, really wonderful to meet you. You're so gracious to actually spend some time with us here at the IBC 2017 show. And I know that, so tech, the thing about Tech Move is it's like you as a guest were just built for Tech Move because Tech Move is about uh, technology, Macs, iOS devices, and uh, cinematography. <laughs> that sounds great. That sounds like a great subject. So you're just you're just per, you're like the perfect guest. So um, I know a little bit about your your background and kind of your history from the beginning. You know, even before that, even before you were into uh, cinematography, I guess. But uh, maybe you could tell me a little bit about your background. Well, I mean, I started shooting. I, I kind of started photography and programming all at the same time. So for me, it was all very meshed together. I started programming on a. TRS-80 or a Trash-80, a um, little Radio Shack, uh, and, and then an Apple IIe uh, when I was 10, um, and, then, uh, and then also got a K-1000 Pentax, you know, that you could um, uh, take pictures with and has all manual, and, and so I, you know, kind of learned both of those, those pieces very slowly um, for a very long time. Um, I didn't really get into professional media until I was uh, 19. I started working on a radio station, and... and uh, and you do have a radio voice. Well, thanks. <laughs> it's actually, I, I went in and I just interned and said, I'm willing to sweep the floors for free. You know, like that was it. And, and, and there was, at some point they said, why don't we have you try to do a commercial? And then next thing I knew I was on air and, and um, got to do that for a little while and work in the music industry, which was the best training. You know, working at Sony Music as part of their college marketing was this incredible training in how to make deals, how to work with people, how to find a win-win situation because you didn't have any money to work with. And, you know, all of those things that, uh, that I use every day now um, was definitely part of that. And then uh, from there, I moved uh, into TV, worked at Prime Sports Network, uh, which is now part of Fox Sports, and uh, did, didn't do any, any part of the video. I was the print designer that designed their print ads, um, but I learned how to use this crazy program called Photoshop, which had come out, and uh, Quark. Uh, Quark Express, um, and then uh, then moved because I really couldn't get a job at Prime Sports Network doing video. They they thought that I was too young or or something. It uh, wasn't you know uh, wasn't really given that opportunity. So I went and interned again um, at a company that sold Electric Image uh, and Form Z, which were the 3D programs that I wanted to use, and ended up going into a game company and then into legal animation of all things, and then ended up in a roundabout way, ended up at uh, Lucasfilm and then Industrial Light and Magic. And so worked on uh, Star Wars Episode One for a little bit, and uh, three years, and, uh, and then left to start my own thing. And that's kind of how the Pixel Core you know, began, um, thinking that I could train everybody in, to do visual effects. And what I really got good at was uh, video. <laughs> so because we had to do all this training, we had to figure out, you know, it was great to know how to do visual effects, but I had to figure out how to get the, you know, the video and the audio out to everybody. And uh, so we got good at that. And then before we knew it, we were doing lots of live streams. And so now we, you know, most of our business is, you know, live streaming um, for a lot of big corporate clients and government agencies and VIPs. So that's kind of what we do now. And we're getting ready literally next week uh, or over the weekend um, of opening our membership back up, starting to open our training back up, um, kind of coming back to our roots in a lot of ways. A lot of the places that I would personally prefer to be a lot of the time uh, is is working on still empowering other people to do it rather than us just doing it so tell me a little bit about pixel core like how many people are involved uh, and, and what it, what it actually what do you actually do when you set up a typical job or something like that 
So we've got about, uh, PixCore itself has about 28 people working for it um, so that are full-time staff. And so uh, there's obviously some guys that take care of our warehouse. We've got a bunch of tech guys that kind of build the kits and, and prepare everything to go out. Um, and, and also work in the in the field. Um, we've got people that just manage travel. We you know we do a lot of travel, so we have a, a great person that does that. Uh, we have uh, um, you know so uh, and then we have a DC facility as well as a facility in Northern California up in San Rafael, and um, and so that's what we you know what we do mostly is on site live streaming or something that requires video over the web. So it's not or video over some kind of IP network. Um, it doesn't always mean that we're live streaming it. Sometimes it's a, a point to point. So we'll, you have a VIP that wants to show up at a, somewhere in the world and they can't be there. And our job is to make sure that that connection works seamlessly. Um, or we have, or we, that, that VIP wants to speak to the rest of the world or that corporation wants to speak to the rest of the world. Um, so those are the things, the kind of things that we do, um, that, uh, that are, um, that let us kind of, uh, uh, we, we make that hopefully easy and relatively stable. Uh, it's, there's a lot of variables. So a lot of what, what uh, we have to do is really manage lo- the logistics. You know, anybody can stream uh, you know, to the, you know, uh, relatively easily. I mean, Facebook lets you do it on your phone, so does YouTube. But being able to do it day in, day out with a high level of reliability uh, requires a lot of logistics. You know, making sure that everything is where it's supposed to be long before you need it, making sure you have a backup to the backup, making sure that you, ha- you know how that's going to work, having central uh, ways to support crews on the, you know, so for instance, you know, all of our stuff is set through IP. So I can, if I don't like the way someone's mixing something or the color of their cameras, we can change it from anywhere in the world, you know, and so uh, describe, describe. You, you actually told me this morning about some really interesting way of controlling things remotely. If, you, if you're not pleased with it, yeah. So we, uh, so almost every piece of equipment that we add to our systems now requires that it has some sort of control via IP. So whether we're using an audio mixer, the audio mixers that we primarily use are Behringer and Yamaha mixers, um, and then the uh, the camera systems that we're kind of we are more and more using are Blackmagic. Uh, cameras. In fact, we're slowly standardizing on that process. And one of the big reasons for those for our standardization is specifically because I can shade a Blackmagic camera through the through it switcher from three thousand miles away or eight thousand miles away. I can you know, and it's and it's not rocket science to set that up. You know, it's it's something that is it's just using telnet commands that are that are able. You know, I can literally just log into that, and that has made it super seamless. You know, for us to make those fine adjustments quickly and you don't have to have the expert for every single piece of equipment on site that expert can come in and troubleshoot problems for you regardless of where they are in the world Um, and that allows us to create a a level of reliability and a level of consistency that's very hard when you have lots of crews going in lots of different places so uh, it's kind of a requirement on our end to be able to control all of our equipment uh, via IP and then we have a not a super complex but a relatively robust uh, infrastructure in the back end, a VPN system that let, lets us basically all of our stuff logs in. You know, there's all the stuff that's all kind of part of that, the Borg, you know, that allows us to um, have, you know, a lot of what we do is dealing with multiple locations at one time. And when I say multiple locations, it's not multiple rooms, it's really multiple cities or multiple continents, um, sometimes near space. Um, and so we have to be able to have, like, how are we going to be able to communicate with all of those things uh, reliably? And, you know, and efficiently, you know, and that's not just your program audio, but also all your comms, 
you know, your video, everything has to be all, you know, tied into um, a larger system. I think that actually Alex Lindsay is, is Batman. Uh, I can imagine him in the Batcave uh, typing these Telnet commands. And, and by the way, by saying Telnet, you just went into the geek, the geeky <laughs> zone of TechMove. Uh, typing in Telnet, tel, and you know, like LS backslash or no forward slash because backsplashes aren't aren't used. The nice thing is that we don't have to type anything in. Don't. The, what, what's what's great about that is that is that the interfaces and you can build interfaces because you know for us because uh, you know when we talk about video. Uh, because Blackmagic, for instance, has uh, created such an open architecture for us to be able to talk to all their equipment, that makes it easier for us to, you know, integrate it into the entire pipeline. You know, um, it's not that we can't do it with other cameras and hardware, but it's much more difficult. You know, and when we, at the level, you know, we have to have so many, you know, we have a, a, a small broadcast trailer, then we also have, you know, six fly kits, and then we have to sometimes support eight or ten locations. You know, that all, all that stuff requires a different thinking that most people have to deal with when they're, when they're doing a live production. So are you, are you the, the, the big boss? I don't know. I, I, I think I, I have a couple bosses, and I, you know, I feel like I, I, uh, um, I'm, you know, I guess I'm the CEO, but, but I, a lot of times I feel like I'm uh, working for my employees. You know, you know, so, so you, know, they, uh, you know, my job is to keep them supported and make sure that they're being taken care of and, you know, doing what I can to keep everybody employed. Um, so I don't know if I'm the big boss as much as just the, the, the guy that everyone calls when there's something broken. <laughs> so you're not the typical CEO that somebody messes up a little bit. You're fired. Next. No, no, not at all. Not at all. It, it's, you know, every, you know, it's, it's not that we don't, you know, I am known for being a little fiery at times. Uh, but, but firing, I don't think is really a, a thing that we, you know, it's something we kind of avoid at all costs. You know, we really look at, um, you know, every, every adjustment, every piece is, is learning. You know, you, you know I, I saw this great, I, I, I'm embarrassed to say, I was, uh, this morning I was looking at Twitter, I was about to tweet something out, and I went by and I, I follow Katy Perry, you know, you know, and, and, you know, and, um, uh, you know, and, uh, and, and Katy Perry had this great little quote that just said, uh, you know, remember it's not a failure, you're not failing, you're learning. You know, and just a great quote, I don't know where she got that or whether she just made it up at, on the thing, but, but, uh, um, but, but a lot of times when you're correcting people who are working for you or working with you, you know, you're investing more and more into their ability to do what they do. You know, and you're, you know, and we have what I think is just a stellar staff. I mean, every person in the company it, to me is all muscle. You know, there's nobody that I go, uh, they're not really, you know, they're good enough. You know, I used to, it, and it took us a little while to get, to get to that, that place, but, but we have just such an incredible, um, staff that, you know, all at every level is doing such a great job. And so, uh, so I don't, you know, it's never, I never have a believe that someone is doing something for the wrong reason. It's just a, you know, misguided, whatever. And sometimes I'm misguided. <laughs> so, so I think we're all just trying to figure out the best way to do it. And most of what we do, you know, like we, we talk to a lot of clients and they'll go, well, have you ever done this before? And I'm like, no, we, we haven't done this before. We've done a lot of different pieces that are like it, but we've never done this before. And they're like, well, how do you know you can do it? And I said, well, because we don't fail. You know, we, we, we don't fail very often, you know, like, you know, and, 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 you know, it's, but you have to get comfortable for what we do anyway, living inside of a, it's very unpredictable and it's very, very challenging and it still has to come out the other end as a success, you know, and that's a, and, and that we know that every person in our, in our crew uh, is, is clear of that and works very hard to achieve that. That's pretty cool. So I have a, a teeny little awareness of what you're, what you do because I've done teeny little mini versions of what you do. You know, some of my, so I have a lot of, uh, a lot of clients in the high tech field, smaller businesses, some, some larger and 
they want to do like a live stream Facebook or a live stream YouTube or something like that. And so a while back, I invested in Wirecast mm -hmm. software and a couple um, Blackmagic design boxes and a little micro SD inputs for HDMI or SDI into your fire into your uh, Thunderbolt. And I did. I've done several of these little things. You know, teeny little compared to you. Want me? Basically, I'm doing it. But so I have a little. But it's it's really pressurized because you're going live. You have to make sure everything works. I remember before one of my um, one of my gigs recently was a Facebook Live thing. It was actually my first one. And of course, I told. Well, I didn't, I wasn't on, as honest as you. I told the client I had done it before. I had done YouTube a lot before, right. but I hadn't done Facebook. And you know how Facebook is screwy. So I set the whole thing up, the whole essentially studio up the day before in my house to make sure that every little thing would work and that I have, had all the little pieces that I would need. So I assume you, you probably do testing like that. Our, our guys build every kit and test it before it goes out. So our stuff goes out, um, you know, usually ours are going out on, in uh, uh, pretty large uh, cases. Um, you know, it's, it's rare for us to show up with less than 10, 10 cases. It's, it's, we, we keep on, I, I always go, how do we have so many cases for this simple little connection? And, and then they show me and I'm like, okay, okay, we need, we need all that stuff. And so, but, um, and a lot of our stuff now, when it's going internationally, we use a shipping company to, they come pick it up on pallets and it disappears. And, but all of that gets before it leaves, gets built, tested. We do everything we think we're going to do in the event, knowing that, and then we add 25% more capacity, knowing that the client's going to ask for these three things and they're going to ask for something else and they're going to want it yesterday. And, and so we kind of try to guess what that's going to be and add a little bit to it. And then we pack it all up carefully and uh, put it on a crate and, and then Rocket comes and picks it up. <laughs> so, so that's the company that we use. And, um, and uh, so, uh, but, I, but I think it's important. And one of the reasons that we own all of our equipment or own, own, almost all of our equipment is for, specifically for that reason. If you rent equipment, it's really, really hard for you to know if it's going to work well. I mean, you don't know who's done what with it. When, whether it got wet, whether it was in a humid area, whether it got spilled on, whether it, when, what, where the settings are. Some settings you can reset and other ones are in the firmware. And there's all these things you don't know when you rent a piece of equipment. And, um, and so, you, uh, so by owning it, it allows us to know where it's been. We have policies about how we handle it. And then we also, when we build it, uh, we're able to build it weeks ahead of time, test it, make sure it's exactly what we want, and then send it out. And that's kind of a unique situation for us. That's pretty cool. So... I know that you've never screwed up because you, you you told me that you've never failed. <laughs> yeah, I have not never failed. I have uh, is I, I think I corrected that as I was saying is like rarely fail, rarely fail. Now we we uh, we've definitely had. Uh, I think what's interesting is I think actually the handful of failures that we've had um, are you know have affected the DNA way more than the successes. You know everything about what we do is to avoid the pain of what what happened, you know? And so it's about, I mean, in a couple hundred events a year, you know, we'll have one ghost, you know, we'll have one, uh, broken arrow, you know, and, um, and, uh, and it's usually just, you know, because most of what we do is really high profile. It's a big deal, you know, and then there's lots of meetings and there's lots of process and there's lots of, you know, and, and, and our clients sometimes don't understand why we're so overbearing, you know, but, you know, like we're like, we have to have this and this is the way it has to look and this is the way we need, and this is the way we work and, and, and it can be overwhelming for some clients and partners, um, but it's all us avoiding, you know, we know what to avoid and where all the sharp ed edges are and we want to stay away from all of them. Like we just keep pushing, like, let's move the knives into the other room, you know, like, you know, and so, uh, and so that's the, you know, that's um, what we're constantly working on to try to stay ahead of it. 
So can you relate in a basic way some near disaster story, but you pulled it out in the end, you know, like like, like Batman or something like that would do? <laughs> we had a uh, we had an event. Let me see if I can think of a good one. Uh, and we've had a lot of events. We had, I mean, we've had events where, you know, we're an hour before the event or two hours before the event. And, uh, and we have a tendency to like, uh, everyone stays pretty calm on comms. You know, you know, there's not like, so you, if you're listening to it, you wouldn't know that anything's wrong. But um, we had a, a UPS, a, a, uh, one of our generators, we're in the middle of nowhere, and one of our generators uh, went down. Generators are usually the thing that really is, is the core of many of our uh, stress points. Um, but we had a generator go down and it passed the, or sent the wrong voltage to our uh, UPS, you know, un- you know uninterruptible un- supply s- system and uh, power supply. And um, the UPS, you know, caught fire. And so it was, it was uh, you know, so, so suddenly the whole place is filling up with smoke. And, and uh, you know, we're two hours before a big, very, very, very expensive live stream that was very complicated. And, and all you hear over the comms is, uh, Marty, we need you in the truck. Uh, we've, got, we've got smoke. You know, and, and, and so, and so we, we fixed it all and got it all running. But, but a lot of those events, you know, we try to have the clients stay. We try to not have them in there to see how the sausage is getting made because, you know, generally uh, the only reason we'll start late is because of talent. Um, you know, talent running late, talent not being ready. Talent, you know, that's, that tends to be the thing. So we, our job is always that we can be on time. And, uh, and we try to not have the client see how close we came to not being on time or not having an event or, you know, because yeah, again, 90, you know, 99.8% of the time we, we have an event on time, you know, you know, and, um, and then there's these, a handful of ones where we lose contact with the, you know, with, uh, something in near space. (laughs) So, yeah. And, 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 uh, and other things that we, you know, we sort out, you know, we, uh, you know, those are, um, uh, uh, again, a lot of our stuff is complicated. It might, they might be deep underwater or they might be not on earth and they might be, uh, in, you know, trying to connect from really complicated locations or Antarctica or, you know, like all these things. And we have to, there's just so many variables that go into it. And, um, so we try to stay as far ahead of it as we can and, uh, and make it work. It sounds, I'm actually just sweating thinking about his job and all these people that do his job. We burn through a lot of people, I will admit. Like, like we have the, like, we don't, our, our interviews are more like, do you really understand what's going to happen here? You know, like, like you, know, you know, there's going to be times when you're, you know, like, it's not uncommon to run an 18-hour day here. You know, like, it's not, it's not the way it's always going to be, but it's, it's going to be hard work. Like, the guy, the folks, when we bring them in, and I think that's why we have such a great crew um, to every single person, is that they either knew what was happening before or they're ready for it, but they just know that it, it's production, it's live production, and we can't fail, you know, and so they... Um, they knew that coming in and they're ready for it. I think anybody that's not ready for um, that level of stress uh, is, um, doesn't last very long. It's, it's a, it is definitely not something for everyone. Um, we definitely will work with people and go, yeah, they're not a live person. <laughs> like, they're really good at what they do. Not good for live. You know, you know, and because they just, you know, and, and generally those people are really good at the details. They're good at the tech. They're good at the, there's, there's something they're really good at. But but live is this kind of brute force. It's the, you know, it is the, um, the, you know, the, the battlefield of video production, you know, you know, where, you know, there's, there's, you know, you're in it, uh, you know, and I don't want to equate it to the incredible work that's done by actual, um, you know, military, you know, uh, but, but it is, it's very high stress, you know, and you, you end up in those things. It's, it's still one tenth of the stress of a real battlefield, but, but still it's, it's 10 times more than your average video production. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. I'm still sweating. Okay. So that's an amazing explanation. Now getting back to some of the camera cinematography. So you use black magic cameras and those are, I guess they're known as broadcast, but they're also known as cinematography kind of cinema cameras. So tell me how you use those. Yeah. So we have, uh, and we have a lot of different cameras. So we've got, uh, we've got some, uh, some Sony cameras, you know, P1s that we use for some of our remote control stuff, um, as well as F23s. Uh, some red cameras, some red scarlets that we use for an underwater rig that we have. We have a, um, uh, and th and then we've got um, a ton of you know Sony F FS 100s that we use for a long time as souped up web cameras. Um, and then um, and then we've got you know a bunch of Canon XF 105s, and we've got a huge number of G10s that we use kind of like witness cameras in the back in the background. And then we have, uh, but then we, we've slowly started to buy more and more of the black magic. So we have, um, I don't know, eight or 10 mini Ursas and 10 or 15 of the micro studios, four, four or five of the regular studios and some of the older ones. The first one, the first black magic cameras were not great, to be honest. I mean, I didn't think that was ever going to work. And then the Ursa came out and it was just too big. Like it was just like, so it took us, a, you know, it's not like we just jumped on the black magic bandwagon. We're always like eh, a little clunky, you know, you know, and and um and then they slowly got it working. I think the Mini Ursa for us was the sweet spot, you know, and especially the new Pro that allows us to um, use a Canon mount or a or a PL mount. We of course after we bought a whole bunch of PLs is when they put out the one that can you can go back and forth. We're like really, you know, so so the um, uh, but being able to swap what what kind of mounts we use with it. The big thing for us is because we're live. Uh, a lot of what we care about is the ability to control the camera uh, remotely. And that might be in the room, might be from somewhere else in the world, but we want to, you know, the eye, you get really used to that and it's really hard to give up. You know, it's, it's, you know, that you're not, that you suddenly have, I've got control of the color of the camera. I've got control of, you know, a lot of the major settings that I need all from somewhere else, you know, um, and, and I can log into that camera and just do what I need to do to it to, to make it ready to do what I want, you know, ready for the show. Um, it has saved us so many times now that you get used to it. And when you're doing live, you expect that, right? You, um, the hard part is, is that the other camera systems are very closed. You know, so it's a closed camera system. It's, it's hard to get to the tools. You know, you have to have their shading packet, you know, shady, uh, shading hardware. The cables oftentimes are limited in length. The, you know, there's all kinds of things that, that can be a real limiting factor uh, using the other cameras. And so that's why we've kind of, slowly move to being able to um, uh, use a Blackmagic camera. We, it's not that I think it's, it's the best camera all the way around, but as a tool for what we do, I have a hard time. You know, we do, you know, what we do is online distribution. We don't do, I, I don't, I, I will admit we view, internally we view TV and even theaters as kind of what uh, internally is re referred to as legacy formats. So, you know, to us, the movie theater and the TV, the way we think of it now is kind of like, it'll be here for a while, you know, and, and it's not that nothing will happen on TV. It's just that that's not where we think most of business will go. You know, we're, we're really looking more at, and we've been looking at this for 15 years, is we know that where most of the content's going to end up is on an Apple TV or Netflix or, or Amazon or uh, YouTube or Facebook. Those are all, the, that's the future of the platform. So when we get, when we watch our footage on that platform, even at 4K, on YouTube um, and now on Apple TV coming up and uh, on Amazon, you know, we don't see a significant difference between using an Airy and using a, um, a Blackmagic, you know, Mini Ursa. You know, the price is, there's a big difference in the price and there's a big difference in the control. Um, 
my brother would wholeheartedly, my brother is a DP um, and a Steadicam operator and he would call what I just said blasphemous. So, you know, so, so, so I, I, I think, I think he would, he'd just be like, ah, you know, you know, but uh, and if, if he ever hears this, he'll probably call me, you know, like you're, you're full of it. But, you know, for us, um, the, it's more important to have a pipeline that is really working well than to have every little thing that an Aerie, for instance, has. And I'm, you know, I probably just gave up any kind of sponsorship I'll ever get from Aerie. Uh, yeah, they're definitely, we're not doing their live streams. And so, so anyway, um, but when you look at these expensive packages, you know, we've kind of gotten into this habit, kind of a belief system that we're not going to spend more than $10,000 on a camera. You know, like we, we will, we spend a lot more than that on our lenses. You know, so our lenses are very expensive lenses. Um, the broadcast lenses that we use have to be controlled remotely and everything else. And I mean, we can literally change the focus and, and zoom on the camera from 3,000 miles away, you know, with the way the, the thing's set up. And so those, but that, um, so the lenses we'll spend money on, but the camera's not so much because we know that we're going to use them for a year or two and then we're going to get another one, you know, you know, and, uh, and so, and I think that that is something that, um, and again, I want to say, you know, we're not sponsored. We don't get anything from Black Magic. <laughs> you know, like, like there's nothing, they don't, they don't give us anything. Um, you know, but, but the, uh, but we, uh, uh, but we've definitely kind of drank the, uh, the lemonade, um, you know, or the, or the punch, the Kool-Aid, uh, where we really, um, that it's the entire ecosystem that works for us, you know, and it's not that we don't have complaints about one thing or another or wish there was something better or, you know, um, sometimes we joke that it's almost cool, you know, like it's like, oh, missing this one little thing, you know, you know, and, uh, but, but it's, uh, um, but at the same time, that ecosystem, once you get into it, becomes harder and harder and harder to unlatch from. Um, and, and I think that's one of the, uh, uh, you know, that's what we've kind of gotten into. We still use a ton of stuff from AJA. We use a ton of stuff from Sony. We use a ton of stuff, you know, that our audio pipeline is still all, you know, different, different things. Mostly, again, as I said earlier, Behringer and, and uh, Yamaha. And for us, in the same way that that's important, you know, for us, you know, when we look at like our audio equipment, we want that to all tie into Dante. And that's actually one of our little complaints, like the Dante, like Black Magic. Tell, tell us about Dante. So Dante is a... Um, it's a sound uh, infrastructure, so it lets you route sound to between equipment, and that can be that equipment can be your uh, your Mac, it can be a Yamaha mixer, it can be a Behringer mixer, it can be outputs, it can be microphones, everything. Just, and what happens is, is it's a very high quality, low latency connection over Dante that allows you to have a um, uh, this this super tight connection where. You, you open up a thing and just say, I just want this output to go to this, this input, you know, and, and you're able to route huge numbers of channels between things. And it becomes a lot, it's a lot simpler than, than having, uh, you know, a whole lot of analog connections or even something like AES 50 or 67 or, or whatever. It's, it's just kind of this open structure that lets us, um, you know, tie all these pieces of equipment together. Um, and, and so... Uh, it's kind of like a real version of the Apple Audio MIDI interface well the midi interface still is is it's a it's an audio version of that you know midi of course lets you do all you know tie in all this stuff and control all those things but you need to be able to pass that actual audio somewhere and it's still tweaky you know like 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 dante is a you know we in the early days we we spent a lot of time being you know painfully reminded that dante is has great power and requires great responsibility you know you know so it has to have it's really its own network and it has to you know you can't have anything else doing with it and you have to make sure that everything's got the same you know is on the same time code and you got to make sure that everything is you know synced properly and everything else to make that work um so though once we got through those things that becomes a very addictive thing to you, know, you can just simply route quickly and 
and tie everything together. And no matter how many places you're routing, you're not you're not adding sound. Like you you kind of at first there's a safety to using analog because you know it's just you plug it in and it just works and it just does its thing. Over time, you get into a situation where you know the problem with analog is you, you're you're picking up audio, you're picking up all kinds of noise. Every everything you're everything that you plug it into has some kind of coefficient that's being added to your to your, your mix, right? Um, you can easily uh, peak it, you know. So now it's it's static, you know. You can, uh, but but the main thing is it's just really hard to, to trans transport and reroute and so on and so forth without a lot of hardware. Um, so you get kind of in this mode where what you really want is just Dante. You know, you want a Dante connection to everything. And so you want everything to go out of analog and into Dante as fast as you can. And then Dante manages you know, the connections between everything. And I, I got to say, I, I've been doing this for a long time. I only became a believer of this in maybe the last two years because we had so many problems with Dante, not building the network correctly and everything else. But once you get used to that, then it's like, oh, this is great. You know, you know and you're, you're suddenly able to tie all that together and you're able to... Um, Make, do all that routing, and uh, and it really makes it uh, a much cleaner production, you know. And then you're, you know, and, and it's not just the Dante that we have for a show. We have all our show audio, but we're also tying Dante. We have a Dante cards for our Clearcom, and so we're tying all our comms together, and and the, and you know, all that stuff is controllable, you know, within a network. It's it's very powerful. That sounds pretty cool. I'll have to look into that when I when I do these massive, you know, million million dollar productions. Uh, <laughs> so. Getting back to the Blackmagic camera, I actually have one. I have yep. the I have the original uh, Mini Ursa, the three oh, K, the, the, the first Mini Ursa. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's the four point the four the four K the four K. I said three K, I meant four K. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, we tested we tested the four K, uh, and and um, fortunately we knew that the four point six was coming, and so we bought. But the four K is great too. We have one one of those, and then we have the rest of. We were lucky enough to have the four point sixes come out and yeah. bought a ton of them. They're great. I actually got the the four K because it had the global shutter. That was really the only reason. Yeah, that yeah. makes a big difference. Yeah, just because I, I have a really specific use for it for stabilization and doesn't have the rolling rolling shutter effects. So I'm just, just going to use it for moving vehicles and things like that. Because you can really, I don't know if you've done that, but you can, when you use stabilization software on a, th- a camera that has global shutter, like the old CCD cameras, it's just solid. Yeah, yeah well... It's one of the things that has me always like, you know, when I look at, we're, we're, so much of our pipeline now is 4K, so I have to give them up. But, you know, I have these F23s and these P1s, and uh, I actually have an F950. Um, I heard about them. Yeah, the infamous F950, one of the, the uh, Star Wars cameras. Um, and uh, uh, the F950 now sits in a nice, uh, it, it's, it's in our insert studio in Washington, D.C., and so it's still working, but it not very, it's not working very hard. It's kind of in retirement, you know, and... And, uh, but we have to take it. It's going to have to get switched up to uh, 4K soon. And so I have to give these up. But there's something I still miss about all the, the CCDs, that there's a chip for every color, that they are on and they're off. There, there's all these things that we got used to that I still feel like we don't get the same quality out of the chips that we get now. I mean, we get more resolution. But I really, you know, it's not the be-all, end-all. Yeah, actually, I was going to get the 4.6. Like, it was a no-brainer. And then they, they took out the feature of the global shutter. Yeah, and we don't. For us, we don't do that. Yeah, so it's not a. It's it. it you know, uh, we don't use it that way. So, but matter. but it doesn't matter to us. But but yeah, it's it's a. Um, uh, yeah, we don't do a lot of stuff that would require that. Yeah. And and actually, the only thing I attach to it's funny. We we I have a bunch of car attachments, but what I attach to cars tends to be a. Um, I have a little Osmo with a I love my I have like every Osmo thing made you know and, and we use it for all kinds of little things I carry one I think I want in my backpack 
um, the one I mostly use is the one on my phone. You know, so I just pop my phone in, I wander around, and, and uh, we use that a lot uh, for like inserts and pickup shots, and not so much for the real core content. But if I if I need like something, a lot of times I need some footage to paste two pieces of a live show together. Like we need a break, so for me the big thing is using either time lapse or Osmo footage or something to open a show or to or to put a break in or whatever. And so I found that the Osmo attached to the roof is kind of magical. Like if you get it just right, and now the problem with the phone one is that it, uh, the phone uh, it acts like a little sail. So once you get about 40 miles an hour, it starts to like, you know, bounce around a little bit. It can't stay stabilized. Whereas the round one can go a lot faster without, um, you know, so if you actually use the head. Because I have a, one of the Osmos with the, the, the Zenmoose, you know, the camera on it. So, uh, so that makes it, that looks a little better. Um, but the, uh, the other thing we put on it is, um, we attach spherical cameras, which are kind of fun. So I, I attached a theta to my, uh, what is that spherical camera? So spherical camera is a 360 video camera. So at the time I was attaching, I got an attaching the theta, uh, before any the other cameras came out to my, to my car and driving around, which was great. Cause it, when you put a, go- when you put the goggles on it, it, it feels like you're, uh, and I use goggles kind of as a generic term because we, we use, you know, HTC and Oculus and Gear 360s and, and Daydream and, you know, all of the things are, are all part of what we play with. But you put those goggles on and you sit down and it's like you're sitting on someone's car. And what we, what we did find, though, is that it's very important to turn the camera so that it, it is uh, it's thin to the air. You know, because I, I turned it the way you want to have it so you don't have any seams going down the middle of the car. Um, yeah, at 55 miles an hour, the, the quarter 20 on the bottom fails and... That you know, and it was really funny because it, it just flew off. It just went thunk. It hits. It hit. It hit the. It hit my windshield and went up over. And I was like, and I was like, well, at least at least the data will be okay. And then this this paving truck was right behind me and just crushed it. You know, like it was just little bits and pieces. And I was like, and I even still took my little my little crushed one. I tried to plug it into the computer and try to like maybe the maybe the memory is still connected to the output. No, no, it was it was gone. So. Now I bet it, I bet with enough resources you could have extracted that that video. I probably could. I you know yeah. There, there, there's there's I guess what we call diminishing returns. You know you know it's it's a, it is a uh, the um, yeah. I do so many tests. We break so many cameras that you you hope you can get the data off of it. But yeah. So when you um, are you into images and and quality of video cameras or the sensors or things like that? Are you more into the the, the live shoots and just getting the job done? Yeah, you know, I, I, I definitely don't think I spend as much time as I used to really sizing up every camera. I think, I think the problem is I've been I've been doing this for too long, and I uh, every camera that comes out now is amazing. Like like it is kind of like the people have no idea what we used to shoot with. You know, my little my little Panasonic, what was it, the DVX one hundred or whatever. You know, and uh, like it it is like. We, I remember we bought that as like our prized camera at the time. This little, it's four thousand dollars and paid for this. Uh, and and now I, you know, I look at the old footage from, you know, I found it on an old drive and I was like, oh my gosh, that was horrible, you know, you know. And then the EX ones and the EX threes and which were great at the time. There was a revolutionary at the time, you know, uh, for what we could do with them. But but now every camera that comes out, I mean, the phone is better than that, you know, you know, and and, and it's. And so, you know, I always just, I'm just always like, the camera is amazing, you know, and, and you can do anything. Like, I, I did visual effects shots in 8-bit, you know, for Star Wars. And, you know, like, 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 just be clear, like, it's not, it's, you know, you, 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 it's, people get really tied up in the chips and the cameras and everything else. Now, I do know a fair bit about what chips are better than others and, 
what you know, I think that you know, the, and it's and the resolutions. I I love the idea of shooting in 8K and then and then going down to 4K because now you're oversampling that image. So there's lots of things that I I think are great. Um, I think for me, I'm very, uh, I guess I would say I'm just very practical, you know, about what we do. You know, about I know that the kind of work that I do right now is not going to be put in the Smithsonian. You know, it's not going to be a, you know, um, changing the world in, in that way for the most part. Um, and I know that it's really great and it's in 4K. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, it's kind of like it's, it's, it's a, uh, uh, and, and so I think that what we do is definitely sufficient. Um, I think that the, you know, the chip, the cameras that we use right now produce the quality. And I'm very touchy about, you know, I, you know, we won't use, we, we won't do production with chips that are, at this point, less than less than a half an inch, and really, we want four. You know, uh, four thirds is kind of the minimum chip size for us for most of the work that we do um, for real professional work. I actually have a question for about about that because I know that the black a lot of the Black Magic cameras are larger sensors, especially the Ursa Mini Pros. They're uh, super thirty five size or or maybe even larger. How do you deal with the depth of field issues in a live event? Yeah, so that's I was about to mention that. So the the one time that we sometimes go down to two thirds inch chips is specifically really big live events where I have a really long throw, you know? So, because um, of course what happens is, is that as you, um, as you, especially if it's a darker event, as you open up that, as you open up your aperture, you're gonna shorten that depth of field. As you zoom in further, you're gonna shorten that depth of field. And so you end up on a super 35 chip having a razor, razor sharp, um, yeah, little like it's a, you know, you've got an <laughs> inch and, and typically if someone's on stage, you got to have at least two or three feet of focus, you know. And so what you try to do, the nice thing about a lot of these chips is that they gain up pretty well. So you can you can get away on a black magic camera of gaining all the way to 18. Some people are going to be like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you did that. But you'd be, well, because we're streaming it, the macro blocking tends to blend all that in anyway. And so, so we don't really see that much. I can see it in the raw footage. But we'll sometimes gain up so that we can close that aperture down um, to, to make it work. It still looks better, in my opinion, than a two-thirds inch chip, you know, um, even though we're gaining up. And so, the, like, two-thirds inch chips, you can't gain up, really. I mean, past three, maybe six is, is kind of the highest that you can go. So, the, uh, so for, you know, for long throws, that becomes more of a challenge with a Super 35. Um, but, uh, again, the other, I mean, the other things that you really want to get into is we use larger monitors for the camera ops. So, when, the, when, when a camera op is going to be, uh, you know, two or 300 feet away, they need a, a, at least a 10 inch, if not a you know larger monitor to look at, to know whether they're in focus. That little one now is close is not you know uh, is not good enough. It's still only good for hand grenades and nukes. <laughs> so um, so anyway, uh, so you have to get um, uh, you really have to get that fine that fine resolution, and we have to really look at it. And we have you know some of it all comes down also to the camera operators. You know you really. As you do long throws, we need better camera operators. You know, some camera operators just don't, they don't have the eyesight, they don't have the, the temperament, they don't have, we definitely have trouble with, they just don't see it. You know, they don't see the focus. And so we have to, and sometimes we're walking them in on the focus because we just can't. And so, and obviously they get to work with us once. <laughs> so. so do they have a follow focus or how, how do they focus? Uh, most of our live, uh, most of our live lenses have controls on the handles. So on the handles, we have they, the operators will have control of their zoom and focus without having to reach up to the to the lenses. And so those are. It's not really a follow focus um, as you have in film. It's more of a, um, uh, and we have those too for some things. But 
but it's really like these kind of hand controllers that you can use to, to, to control the camera or lenses. Are the lenses electronically focusing? Yeah, the lenses are controlled electronically. Yeah, so they're... So they don't have like a little follow focus gear or anything? They, 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 they have it on the outside that you can grab onto, but we usually disengage that because we want them to use the handles. Because they're, 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 they're moving around and, and they're following someone and they really can't be reaching up and grabbing onto the lens. So for a live event for us, most of the time, you're going to have uh, hand controls to do that. So in the case of one of these lenses that you're controlling, do you mount something extra on the lens or does it just come with the lens? The lenses that we buy, um, it comes with it, um, but we've also used a lot of, you know, there's a, uh, there's a lot of ones that you can attach to the film lenses and, and even attach to regular lenses. So, for instance, uh, Red Rock Micro makes some great um, uh, little motors that you, can, that you can attach a piece to your Canon lens, let's say. And then you have rails and you attach the little motors and then they can control it. The, they're not quite as, um, you have to have your own people do it because they're not, at, the interface isn't as standard as everybody else. So if you bring a broadcast guy in with our controllers for the big lenses, they, they kind of look the way everybody's looks, right? You know, like, you know, and so if you, if you hire someone in, in Chicago, they're most likely going to understand that, how that works. So you have to think about systems and how they interact with lots and lots of freelancers. We, we probably hire two or 300 freelancers a year, you know, in different locations because you can't fly your whole crew there. Uh, so it's harder for no, anything that's non-standard to be part of that. But we've got tons of the Red Rock Micro stuff for our own stuff, which works great. Um, there's also Preston makes a lot of great stuff that is remote controlled and, and so on and so forth. So those are all, um, you know, things that we use in, in, in different situations. You still use stuff, stuff like that, especially when you're using, you're doing something like a Steadicam. You still need all those motors to control the Steadicam because you can't, you know, he's not, he doesn't have any handles either. You know, he's just got a big camera. And so those are the other things you have to think about. Yeah, cool. So that's really cool stuff. I'm not sure how much more time you have for, we've been doing this in a while. I, I have, I have, um. Okay. I have so many more questions. I could probably talk to you for like three days, but um, I think we might run out of memory on the, on the iPad, but it, until we do, we're going to keep talking. It's going to be like a marathon. Alex, you know, we're going to be having food trucked in. Um, no, I actually have a question because another specialty of Alex, I think, is still, and, and definitely in the past, was Mac technology, Apple Mac technology. So are you still into the Mac? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we're still a big Mac shop. So, I mean, we have, I mean, we don't really have, we have some Windows machines for some of our CAD and engineering stuff that we have to do. Uh, that stuff just, you know, it isn't really that popular on the Mac. And then we have a lot of Linux systems for streaming. Um, so most of our streaming boxes are all Linux and our stitchers for 360 are, are Linux. Um, but the vast majority of our computers are still Mac. So I'm, I'm an avid Mac fan. I've got the first Mac or maybe the second Mac, the Mac Plus, and, and then have been a Mac fan ever since, and I have to use PCs occasionally to do things, but I, I guess I'm a Mac cult member, Apple cult member, um, and so I still actually am using the cheese grater uh, Mac, um, the, the last really good Mac, good uh, large chassis Mac that they made, the, the Mac Pro, that they designed back in 2010, and I've just souped it up to the Max. I've got everything in there they could possibly put in there to speed it up, make it more powerful, and it's still working. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's I, miss, I miss a large chassis. I mean, we have, we have three of what we call the trash cans, you know, that we use for some of our, some of our software only runs on it. So we, 
we use the we use those and and they're uh i'm sure apple hates the fact that everyone calls them trash cans but they look like trash cans so anyway so but the um i think that uh um uh you know we have a they're great i mean they do what they do but you're, they're obviously behind we're waiting for the new new ones what we'd love to see is is them to for apple to realize that you know we're we don't really want it as a desktop as a as a I want to be able to rack mount it. You know, I want to, you know, what my perfect Mac is a 3U, you know, um, a 3 The old Apple server things yeah, they used to have. But it's like, even the Apple server was like, I think a 1U, you know. Right. What we really want is a 3U that I can, I can drop cards into. And, but the idea is if Apple could redefine that process of, I'm just going to slide things in and out and make it super adjustable and, 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 you know, make, do all those things without having to make sure that your, your, uh, your cards are perfectly lined up or anything else like that, all that gets easy. And they do the Apple design for it, you know, would be a great way to, you know, use the pro because for us, what we want is all those computers somewhere else. And then you just have a fiber connection and then you're just sitting there interacting with it. Your monitor isn't on your desk and your, your keyboard's on your desk. I don't need the, I don't care about the rest of the computer. You know, you know, it's, it, it, it should just be somewhere else. So I know that there's been some announcements of possibly a new Mac Pro, more modular Mac Pro. What, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Well, that's what I'm ho- we're hoping to see. We're just hoping to see it not be something round. We wanted something that we can, we can, we can ba- again, put into a wall somewhere, you know, like put into a rack mount somewhere. Uh, I would actually just be happy with, a, with an, a, a new version of the old cheese grater. I would too. I would too. I, I think that was, a, that was one of my favorite, my favorite form factors. Uh, I, I mean, I like, I have a souped up iMac at, at home uh, that I work on and I like that and I'm looking forward to the iMac Pro. I think that the iMac Pro is going to be pretty nifty. I mean, it'll do a lot of what people want it to do um, pretty, pretty effectively. Um, but I do think there's still an argument for having a something that's kind of hidden away and running a lot of different things at the same time. Do you think, do you have any ideas or any information about this supposedly new modular Mac that's coming out? I know nothing about it. I have no inform- inside information other than what bounces around on the web. What, what are you speculating it might be? I, I don't think it'll be what I want. I think it'll be something else. It'll be some kind, kind of like what I experience that is. That, that is modular. I mean, I definitely think that modularity is going to be the Mac Pro. I think the next big Mac Pro is going to have a lot of ways to upgrade it easily. And I think Apple can probably do a better job at that. Um, but I think that that is the uh, so that'll be the you know, that'll be the challenge there. Um, but I, do you think do you think they're going to have a, a trash canny type thing, but with just Thunderbolt three and then a sell a chassis that goes with it or something? I think they're going to move away from the circular one. It's, it was really good when you're not going to upgrade it a lot. It's not not super modular. It's it's going to be really hard. Maybe they can pull it off. I mean, Apple can do almost anything, but but I don't. It just it's difficult all the way around. The the circular nature of it is a uh, is from a production perspective kind of a pain. So I, you know, like it, I'm, I get I get the thought process that got us there, um, but I'd love for that thought process to change to something else that actually worked in production. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. So, what type of software do you use on your Macs? Um. We use a wide variety of software on the Mac. Uh, we're we're a Final Cut 10 house, so we so Final Cut 10 is definitely something we do a lot of editing on. So I I actually do have Final Cut 10, but I think I adopted it too early and I got burned by it, so I stopped using it really really early, like when it first came out. It was just so different than Final Cut 7, and so I actually uh, when Final Cut 7 was kind of discontinued, I actually went over to Premiere Pro, which is pretty much Final Cut 7, and I've been on Final I've been on Premiere Pro since then. And I, but I'm now I'm actually thinking about going back to Final Cut 10. 
We we have Premiere Pro on a lot of machines, and and it's good. It's a really solid package. Um, we have Avid a little bit as well. Um, the for us, uh, Final Cut 10, and we we had the advantage that uh, Steve Martin and Mark Spencer are friends, and we have a show with them, and and so we did a big training a couple months after Final Cut 10 came out internally, and they taught the class. So our guys went from zero to 100 almost immediately, and and um, and so so that was a that was a big uh, that was super um, great for us as far as so we that's how we got into Final Cut 10 so quickly. When it comes to just pure speed. I need to get something edited quickly. There's nothing like Final Cut 10. You, you know, speed it with, I, like when I talk to reporters and they're like, well, I wanted to go faster, so I use Premiere. I'm like, yeah, that's not the reason you use Premiere. Like you, want, you wanted it to be the same, so you, use the, you know, as you knew, you, you use Premiere. You want to integrate with After Effects, you use Premiere. You want to integrate with, you know, you want to have all the things that, that Adobe does, Premiere makes sense. Um, you want to run on a PC, Premiere makes sense. You want to go faster, that's not the, that's not the right answer. Final Cut is infinitely fast. I mean, you know, like we had some friends that had a big event and they literally brought people in from Apple, from Adobe, from Avid, and they had them train them up and they saw how fast can I take an event and get cut downs to, uh, you know, you know, onto the web. And, you know, they picked Final Cut 10 for that because it was the fastest way to do that. Yeah. I just, I wish that Adobe somehow could speed up their software to the point where it's because it's not just I know that Final Cut 10 has a different paradigm of editing which may be faster in itself but it has actually is just faster it actually plays back video faster it, the playhead moves faster it deals with native files faster well the I mean the the, uh, the funny thing is is that what Apple was trying to do is persuade everybody to um, you know back in, that's how the Final Cut got started was Apple was trying to prove that you could build a, an editing platform on top of the hardware and on top of the software infrastructure. And uh, they had to buy Final Cut to, to prove that. I mean, it, it was really a proof of concept. It was never, I don't think it was ever really designed to do what, become what it, what it became. And then, you know, Walter Murch using it for Cold Mountain was really the big, it wasn't just that he used it. It was that you had engineering talking to him every day and giving him new builds and him, you know, and so he transformed it into what it needed to be so but i think it was between final cut two and three or three and four or whatever was the the merch effect and that's when it really became an editing package but it became a real editing package that was really became that after walter merch um and then it really became this thing that was everybody was using by final cut seven and then you know apple being apple is you know says we're just going to make it better you know like and we're going to make a huge shift and i think what people forget is that the the most today the most used editing package in the world is actually iMovie. You know, like when we talk about all these, like how big the market is and everything else, iMovie is the biggest one. It's the biggest game in town. So making it easy to go from iMovie to Final Cut is not a bad idea. You know, like an iMovie had already been redesigned. And so so going into Final Cut that way, I think that there probably could have been a, could have been another way to do it. You know, like, you know, I think that keeping Final Cut, you know, and I think what Apple didn't want to do necessarily is, and, and I'm, I don't have any inside information. This is all just me. But, I, you know, like looking at, but I, I understand the thought process of not wanting to expend your, your scarce resources on two platforms at the same time. But it felt like if, if you hadn't been shifted over to a new one uh, overnight, you'd end up with people that would kind of learn to know it. You know, uh, I think that, uh, but I think Final Cut 10, I would, I mean, after using Final Cut 10 for, you know, six months, you go back to anything that's the old paradigm and you're like, that. You know, like, you know, I, I don't. You do have to get over that hump, though. You know. Yeah. The thing is, I just I've started projects on it, and it's just so difficult to actually get anything done. You know, I say, okay, I'm, I'm going to convert over my my whole editing to 
to Final Cut, and then I try a little project, and it just takes me forever to do the simplest thing. The bottom line is you really have to, I mean, I will say, if you're an editor that has worked in something other than iMovie, you have to take a class. Like, you have to take a class on Final Cut. You have to, it's, you just have to unlearn what, the way you think. You, you cannot do it in the way, you know, so if, if you try, and that's what I did at first, I would just try to create layers and do the, you know, do, do everything with tracks, and, and I put in all these extra things to keep the tracks in where they were, and, and you just get, you know, and once you get into how it works, you know, you, you learn to, you know, uh, you, you learn the way that it's, that, it, that it'll work well, and then, it, then it's fine. But until then, it's, it's very painful, you know, and so I tried to force it, and then I finally just called uh, Steve and Mark, and I was just like, we really need to do a class, man, because I'm dying here. I'm dying, you know, and then they, and they, uh, uh, and so they, they came out and did a class for our guys, and, and it was, it was great. Okay, I'm going to have to learn it. I actually have a long-form project coming up, and I think it's going to be really important because I'm getting tired of transcoding everything and blowing it up five times. And also, I'm going to be shooting raw and all this other stuff, and it's just going to, everything. I'm going to be just buying hard drives every day. If you're going to do a long project, definitely take a class first. I mean, because again, you get deep into something, and you, and you and you did if you set it up wrong, it's painful. So like you know, so you really have to uh, you know get it the right way. Yeah. Probably hire a consultant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have someone help you get it set up. So I think it might be close to the end of our interview because also actually Alex does have a hard stop. He does have other things to do besides this podcast. But what is right now, we talked about kind of your business and your and your profession and professional things. What's What are, some, what, what are your hobbies? What, what are other things that are important to you? Well, I mean, I... I think I'm, I'm a pretty simple, simple person. Uh, uh, for me, there's, you know, my work and my family. And so I spend a lot of, you know, I spend every time, every minute that I'm not working, hanging out with my kids and my wife, you know, and that's pretty much, I don't really have a lot of other pastimes, you know, <laughs> I, I, I don't, you know, whatever. I mean, but of course I'm a little geeky about how I hang out, you know, like my, my kids and I, you know, we, we, pl we play with the Oculus and we, you know, and I, you know, we're, you know, shooting little movies together and we're doing, you know, we, we have a lot of fun with a lot of, uh, you know, so that we, we still use the tech. Um, I, I shoot, you know, super slow-mo of my, uh, of my kids when they're batting so I can give them feedback on their baseball and, um, you know, that kind of, what do you shoot that with? Uh, shoot it with an iPhone. <laughs> it works amazing. You know, so you just have to ignore everybody that's, that's like giving you the, giving you the, the stink eye. Cause I just walk right up to the net. Then I just push my my phone into the net at just the right angle for my for my kids, so that I and what you want to do is you frame you frame the pitcher all the way to right right to where the catcher is. You just have to get that you have to get to the right position to do that, and then then you get the kind of the whole thing. You get the whole setup and everything else for the pitch and, and everything. And then uh, so then we look at them and I you know get my kids ice cream and we sit there and watch them all all their like literally every pitch. Talk about where their feet were and where you know and and most of my my son my daughter. Uh, it's funny her her. It's hard for me because her the place that she plays doesn't have a very good place to put my phone. So my son gets more feedback. So so it's uh, but she's moving up. So she's going to move to one that has a has another one. But yeah, we uh, um, you know we've talked about motion capturing the kids. You know to you know for technique and and everything else. And so we're we're still you know we still play with a lot of those things. That's really cool. Well, I think it's about time to wrap up this interview. What are we at now? About an hour. Yeah, we're in an hour. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. It's so wonderful to meet you, talk with you. I really appreciate all your time. Um, I'll send you a copy of this when, when we get it out there. Sounds good. Thanks so much, Alex. Yeah, absolutely.
This is Keith Moreau signing off for Tech Move. That's Alex Lindsay from, uh, where is he from? I guess originally from MacBreak, uh, re- really great uh, cinematographer, really great uh, teacher of the arts. And uh, along with our very own Keith Moreau right here on Tech Move. Uh, long, but very interesting interview. Uh, Keith, your final impressions? Uh, my final impressions, he's a really nice guy, very accommodating. He went out of his way to locate me. We were actually texting each other, even though texts hardly worked there, because you know how that works at the shows. There's so many people. Right. But but uh, we, we managed to somehow meet at this one spot, and he was really accommodating. He didn't really i mean he had a lot of stuff to do he was like speaking at different things there and visiting different things and while right at the end of the interview i think actually apple some people from apple may have shown up to bring him somewhere but um but uh just very very pleased that he went out of his way to spend time with me and i want to send this to him later because i think it's I don't know how many times he's been interviewed to this level, so I think it might have been special for him too. We'll see. That's awesome. Well, you know, yeah. one. Well, I mean, you know, not only did I get you know a lay of the land of his background and and how how, how interesting all that was, but the thing that was uh, really fantastic uh, as far as tech move goes, we didn't offer him to sit down one time for that entire hour. So that was really <laughs> that was really tremendous. Uh, you know, the the set design uh, department here at Tech Move. Uh, you know, they're, they're really going to hear it from me because uh, to not give our guests a seat for an entire hour was uh, <laughs> just uh, unheard of. So, uh, uh, Alex, I apologize to you. Uh, we'll, we'll be uh, dealing uh, through HR with our uh, with our uh, facilities department there. So, uh, and, Alex, and again. the craft services sucked. Yeah. Too. <laughs> <laughs> it was like pret- there's just pretzels and peanuts, right. and that was it. Nothing right, fancy. And, and those were the ones from the airplane. So anyway, but anyway, <laughs> uh, Alex, thank you again for joining us on uh, on Tech Move, Keith. Great interview. Thanks. Uh, and I think that's going to wrap it up for us as far as the uh, IBC interviews that we have. Uh, so we're going to take a break uh, right now. We'll come back with more of regular tech move stuff that we need to get to. So stick around, folks. So ladies and gentlemen, that is going to bring us to our end of our IBC coverage. Now, by the time you're listening to this, the next IBC show should be just weeks away uh, of the 2018. <laughs> I, I would imagine. Keith, wouldn't you agree? It's, it's probably it's- like hours now away yeah hours if if not already having taken place right so we want to thank all of our great guests and uh, most of all (laughs) i want to thank uh you keith for uh sacrificing and getting over to ibc and having to uh look at all that great gear so uh thank you very much for your sacrifice yeah you're welcome yeah it's actually fun i'm I'm gonna try to go again this year it's a fun fun trip do, do, do you think it's a good show overall it's it's pretty much like a European clone of NAB. Right. It's exact. It's almost exactly the same. It's it's the same noise level. It's the same craziness. It's the same number of vendors packed into a small place. Um. It's not. It's actually no. It's packed into a huge place. But they're each each vendor is kind of close together. You know. Right. And and um. Uh. And it's got you know it's got all the same. 
It's it's, but it's in Amsterdam, right? Than Las Vegas, and so and, that, and and is it, it, do you think it's worth it to to go all the way over to Europe for for this type of show? I think it's good if you can like write it off, you know, right. like use it as an excuse to have a nice trip and write something off. Uh huh. Um, and then if you're European, obviously yes, sure, because it's kind of like the it's Amsterdam's pretty cool because I mean the thing about Europe is it's fairly close things are fairly close together yeah it's all, all reachable yeah. by by train and stuff like that it's, it's yeah. pretty nice it's really easy to get around europe yeah yeah um like we took after we went to amsterdam we took a train to to france mm-hmm. and i did a i did some shooting in france too yeah because i kind of arranged the timing so that part was cool and then this time maybe we'll go to um london or something instead and it, again it's just a, uh, some type of short flight or train or something yeah i'm not sure if the train goes directly to to london or not but we'll find out right yeah <laughs> probably very, when we get there <laughs> right 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 then you're hitchhiking uh uh from 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 the border on yeah. great okay but i just want to say something i think we've broken some records about that this episode for podcasting because we recorded <laughs> our prob- first you're probably our- going to utter something about like not a great record that we've broken but go on <laughs> uh our first segment, the intro to this episode, was recorded in August 9th of of twenty seventeen, and uh, uh, and and right now we are in March of two thousand eighteen. Is that correct? Yes, we're we're in early March of two thousand eighteen, and maybe by the time people listen to it, it'll be you know early August of two thousand eighteen. I don't know. Hopefully, it'll be sooner than that. I think it's going to be. I think this episode's going to be out in March. Um, we're really shooting for that. So I want to thank everybody for their patience. And we are working. I mean, we were working on these. It just takes a while to get them out. <laughs> right. And, uh, y- y- you know, and and so we do appreciate the Tech Move Nation uh, for sticking with us and yes. giving us a, a shot at entertaining you and bringing you uh, the latest reviews on the most archaic uh, equipment that there is. Yes. So, uh, yes. You and know. hopefully, well, hopefully, so I've gotten in the, in this year long span, I've gotten or almost year long, I've gotten uh, quite a bit more gear. I kind of went in a buying binge at the end of last year. As you usually do towards the end of the year. Yeah. And so we could talk about all that new stuff I got. Like, for example, um, the Atomus Sumo. It's the big um, monitor recorder, the 19 inch monitor recorder that that Adam sells. I didn't, did we not do a review of that when you saw that at NAB or one of those shows uh, uh, a few episodes ago? I think I, I think we talked about it briefly. Yeah. I don't know if I, I don't know if I really, I probably said that it, it was crappy, but I wound up getting one. And, <laughs> right, uh, awesome. <laughs> and then, uh, and then I've always wanted a, a, a Flander scientific calibrated monitor for real precise color correction. So I got one of those because they were running a sale on that. Basically, and, and all, that's all be, those... and that's being used in the studio right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it hasn't been used a whole lot, um, but it's it's about to be used when I start doing some real serious projects and need some some color calibration. A lot okay. of things I've been hold on hold because of the iMac Pro and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Zion Crane Coot Two, which is kind of the large single handed gimbal, I got one of those. Mm-hmm. And then the A Seven. The Zion Cranes are really they're really excellent. Yeah, they're actually, it's it's kind of amazing to me just the technology and fit and finish of a lot of these Chinese products. Thank you. These days. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, they're just. Thank you. 
they're just getting better and better and more and more solid. You're and talking about me completely, but you know, <laughs> that's that's much appreciated. Yeah. And then um, other stuff like the A7R2, which is kind of old news. You mean R3? It. You mean the R3? Yeah, sorry, the R3. <laughs> Because if you were talking about the R2, then that's really old news. But I think we, we at least want to try and, and think currently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then other things, uh, some de- and things that I, another thing, uh, the new Mavic Air, which which I'll just, a little preview. It's really awesome. Um, it's the new DJI drone that's really tiny. And, um, and then stuff that I didn't like so much, um, but still got and returned, like the small HD 24-inch monitor and some DJI gimbals and some other stuff. I so. will I will tell you a little secret. A uh, my old high school classmate just got mm-hmm. a Mavic Air. Oh, okay. I'm and, sure he loves it, and he loves it, and yeah. uh, it has some very neat features of which we will talk about uh, in our next episode. So yeah, uh, that is unless you've already crashed it, and there's uh, nothing to really talk about. Well, I guess we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Good. 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 Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. So that's 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 to tease the listener so they'll they'll be very anxious to listen to the next episode. Well, and, and speaking about that, Keith, I believe that, you know, because there has, you know, like like you had mentioned, you know, even though there a lot of time has passed between us uh, uh issuing a new episode, we've always constantly been recording. Uh, mm-hmm. so we actually do have a lot of segments in the bag right now. Yeah. And, uh, so I think, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, episode 41 will be available not too long after we issue episode 40, if, if I'm yeah. correct. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be pretty quick. It depends on how well the rest of the, the recording goes today. Right. Exactly, yeah. which and we don't we don't know yet. Well, like, <laughs> I mean, with me involved, it'll be disastrous, but nonetheless, uh, that that'll be great. All right, hey, uh, fantastic. Uh, uh, well, uh, I, I'm I'm going to do this because we still want to be able to save some good stuff for episode 41. Let's end this okay. uh, uh, this terrific episode uh, because uh, our listeners are are just dizzy right now from uh, all the information. <laughs> That they've learned because of the IBC and uh, and everything that they learned just in general from Tech Move, all the things we've talked about in our intro and stuff like that. So we want to thank you very much for listening to us, uh, Keith. Uh, of, of course, our fine listeners can can reach us in many different ways on our website, TechMovePodcast.com. Uh, you know, I, I still think we have a Facebook presence somewhere. I think yes. we've got all these other things. I don't know where they all are, but yep. they're, yep. they're still all over the place. And, and then there's the Patreon if people want to give us money. Go that's right. Patreon dot, yeah. What, 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 Patreon. What, what is that? Is that? Uh, oh, that's right. Can you can you repeat that one again for us, please? Uh, yeah. Let me try to find the exact URL. We'll have to edit this. Uh, well, I also know that we also have this. Uh, uh, y- you know, you can uh, get to us uh, through our Amazon site, right? Which is isn't it TechMovePodcast.com slash Amazon? That's right. If you want to just support the podcast, you could just support then, the podcast. Yeah. We greatly appreciate it. The 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 couple of uh, uh, little bits of of money that uh, Amazon will give to us through your purchases. Uh, it doesn't cost you anything. We 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 just get a little a, a little percentage out of that, and so we greatly appreciate 
your help in that because it allows us to keep the lights on mm -hmm. here in our extravagant studios. So right. um, we, we greatly appreciate it. And then, uh, Keith, do you have the, the Patreon uh, information with you right now? Yep, it's really, really simple. I'm sorry, my little doggy's just barking because... Veronica's coming home, but it's uh, <laughs> that's fantastic. It's, she started barking recently. It's patreon.com slash tech move podcast. So it's pretty simple. That's great. And, yeah. and, the, and the fine folks can help support us and all that kind of stuff, right? Yep. Yep. That's great. They could send ma massive amounts of money either. I think, I think we don't accept any donations under $10,000, but you know, do we accept Bitcoin yet? Do we accept Bitcoin? I'm, I'm, I'm I, I, I kind of want to get into yeah. that. We'll that, accept that any of. form of virtual money. Excellent. You know? Fact, yeah. We'll accept, good. you know, casino poker chips, anything. I would, that, that would be <laughs> tremendous. Fantastic. All right. Great. Well, Hey folks, you've been listening to episode 40 and uh, we want to, again, thank you very much for your patience and giving us this time to listen to our uh, silly little show. And uh, we want to thank uh, all our great guests from IBC. Keith Moreau, thank you so much for your time and effort. You're welcome. I have been Rod Louie. Thank you again from all of us here uh, at Tech Move, And we will see you on our next episode. Thanks a lot, everyone. 